All right. It is that day of the year that some of you uh, enjoy and just have fun with call Halloween. Others go, well, it's a satanic ritual that I don't want to have anything part of. Well, I don't know what Super Don thinks about it. I think I do. Uh, we'll find out. But anyway, regardless, we got to go through it and do some healing every day, no matter what day it is. And if you want to celebrate it or not, the healing is on here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Uh, we've got some great guests lined up. Jackie Schlegel from Texas for Medical Freedom joining us on a, a victory they had, the Texas House. What did they do in stopping mandates made by not government, but by corporations to get COVID jabbed? What was the strategy? That's fascinating. We'll get to that. And Dr. Mark Richards has got a, a book out. Nobody wants you healthy. Achieving better health by avoiding the corruption in modern medical science. Both of those are worth the price of admission. But we also have a homeopathic hit in the spirit of Halloween or the lack of spirit of Halloween. Whatever way you look at it, I think it's an appropriate remedy coming up. It's spooky spider time in homeopathy realm, the realm. And we're going to hit that with our homeopathic hit. So with that, let's uh, get this healing party started right about now. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. The voice of health, freedom, and liberty, The Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, let's uh, dive into uh, all kinds of silliness to start, including uh, I, I semi-participated in the workout, uh, uh, what do we call it? it? Fit. Workout fit. Is it a workout fit? Is it a workout fit? Or is it a workout fit altogether? I uh, went to kickbox and they said, everybody's got to dress up. I'm like, you know how I don't really do that, but what the heck? I threw on a hat and some gloves and it uh, wasn't necessarily related to what normally I would wear. <laughs> there it is. Uh, silly hat and skeleton gloves this morning. And of course, the first thing the trainer asked <clears throat> is, what is that hat? I, 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 I asked the question, the same question. I Super mean, it's, did too, it, yes. it's almost like you're kind of like a Rastafarian uh, a skeleton or something. It's like there. a mushroom I, cap, isn't it? A little bit. I, 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 I have no idea. I've never seen anything like that anywhere, let alone on your head before. Well, all I had to say was something to do with my kid's favorite. Uh, <laughs> what is that show? They call it uh, anime. Apparently oh. it's a character from something called One Piece. Look at the big brain on Bell there. Yeah. Wow, look at that. Anyway, with skeleton hands. And I felt like I've 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 participated. It's kind of like on on, on St. Patrick's Day. If you don't wear green, you get pinched. So you got to do something so you don't get, you know, too harassed. Anyway, so uh, but I got my 60 pulse points in. So I'm good. And I'm just telling you, don't eat the candy. Whatever you do, don't eat the candy. If they collect it, the kids collect it. I don't know, burn it in effigy, something, but don't eat it. This is the starting of the downward spiral into what they call influenza season, not because of a virus, but because of uh, toxicological burdens, food colorings, additives, preservatives, flavorings, uh, sugars, you name it. Extra gluten with with uh, glyphosate in it for me. That's, you know, the Halloween treat. Um, I was asking my wife, what are we giving away at the door? Uh, I think she said dirty syringes, hairballs. And, and what else? I mean, really, just go ahead and be honest about what you're giving kids <laughs> if you're giving them the candy and put the little skeleton with crossbones on it. Maybe. I don't know if it'll stop anybody from eating it, but what the heck? Uh, they don't like coming for organic apples because uh, 
you know, the whole history of somebody put something bad in an apple. But regardless, uh, I don't know what you're doing, Super Don. You got the grandbabies, grandkids dressing up and doing silly things? Yeah, most likely. Most likely. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think it's, uh, yeah, there's, there, you know, they have like these trunk or treat things that, uh, that, uh, that you know, a bunch of people get together and, and they have it like in a parking lot or something like that. And, what do they call then, it in England? Because we got UK Health Radio. They won't know what a trunk is, trunk or treat. <laughs> It'd be a boot. Or do they not, do they, they don't have a trunk in their car? Well, in, they in don't the call it that. They call it a boot. Oh, the trunk boot? is a boot. Yeah. Oh. So. Boot so what is that? Spot. What is that? That that shoe that you put on your foot that you lace up that you use for hiking? What's that Clearly called? Clearly a trunk. Yeah, you a put trunk. a trunk okay. on your That's foot and a boot in the back of the car. <laughs> I don't know. What are we going to do with these Brits? Hi, everybody listening on <laughs> Hello, UK Health, UK Radio, Health Radio. We love right? you. It's these crazy Yanks that you just just tolerate anyway. You know that you know they're 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 always saying stuff about us. That's true. They you are. know, and we can take it's, it. It's a friendly and loving rivalry. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Anyway, uh, so no big deal other than a trunk or treat or a boot or bust. A boot and treat. Boot and treat. Well, the Robert Scott Bell Show is live. We are still, uh, what to call it? I don't, you know, use the word transition now. It means something different. So every time I think of transitioning, I can't say that word. I have to go. That word is ruined now, isn't it? They ruined that word. Yes. So we are migrating. That's the word. I like it. Coconuts migrating. Migrating. But see, now that kind of makes you think about the border, right? Illegal. Illegal migration. No, that's yeah. immigration. I think we can still use migrate. Anyway, okay. we're migrating our website from GoDaddy to another site, and it's slow going, and we hope to have it done this week. But, man, every day you're just trudging through mud, getting the uh, show notes up. And if anybody's having difficulty connecting to our website, we're working through it. We're aware of it. Uh, there's still a, a live, uh, what we call a chat room there. If you want to say hi, say if hello. If you can get into it. Yeah. yeah, if you can get into it. If not, you know, the various social medias where we haven't been banned, that is another option. But welcome to the October 31st, 2023 edition of the Robert Scott Bell Show. Uh, we've got uh, some stories to cover, some guests that we've got going uh, with us this hour. Uh, Jackie Schlegel is going to be joining us in a few minutes from Texans for Medical Freedom. And, and then we have Dr. Mark Richards talking about some good stuff in hour two and a homeopathic kit with a Halloween theme. Not on purpose. It just happened to be that way. And uh, we'll get the spooky spider stuff out of the way sometime this hour. Now, the Brownstone Institute, you know, we, we do a lot with their articles and opinion pieces. They really are thought-provoking. Many times they're, they're similar to our thought forms, and we like, you know, pointing that out so you can read and educate yourself on perspectives. Uh, this article or opinion piece is a question uh, being posed apparently by uh, Offit that they borrowed to put into this Brownstone article. Should scientists be allowed to tell the truth? Should scientists be allowed to tell the truth? Wasn't I just, we're old enough, Super Don, to remember there was a, a game show called To Tell the Truth. Ooh, that's an oldie that goes way back, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for the, all us old folks in the audience, much less on the, on the air. I think our parents watched that one. Right, To Tell yeah. the Truth. And that go yeah, that goes back. We were kids, man. I don't know if that was still on. And wasn't it, you know, about having three people on and, and they had to figure out who was telling the truth? out of the three people and two I don't even line. remember. Yeah. yeah. It was something along those lines. But the idea of a question like this, you'd say the audacity, what do you mean? Should scientists be able to tell the truth? What does that even mean? And, you know, I've heard it from some scientists regarding the difference between truth and facts, right? Are, are scientists all about 
telling the truth and finding the truth. And some scientists would push back and say, well, no, we're not about that. What is that? We're about revealing the facts. And of course, people put these facts together into maybe confirming or invalidating what we thought to be true. Interesting difference. I mean, I'm, I'm getting into, I agree, I agree, semantics, word origin, etymology, but I like that too. So telling the truth, what does that mean? It means being honest about something or maybe everything. What is the truth about science, for instance? Well, where it has become, uh, uh, let's say, less than scientific is that it has been degraded into an economic engine to push one set of medicines, let's just call it that, drugs, in a monopoly economic setting to the elimination of any and all competition that is not of the same ilk or drug approval process. And so science has become anything about telling the truth and even, dare I say, revealing the facts when they're inconvenient to the truth that they want to or pretend to espouse. What would be an example of this? This is all just coming right through me at this moment. And if I'm wrong, tell me. But what is the truth that we have been told? The COVID vaccines that are, by the way, not vaccines, but okay, let's set that aside for a second. The COVID injections are what? Safe and effective. Were we not told that that is the truth? And if we weren't told that that was the truth, then it was just, well, it's accurate. And anybody who says they're not safe and effective they're the deceivers. They're the liars. They're the non-truth tellers. They're the ones that are what? Spreading misinformation, disinformation, or malinformation. And so the question is, should scientists be allowed to tell the truth? And if so, what would that have looked like? It would have looked like anybody like who signed the, what was it? The Great Barrington Declaration. Do I remember that correctly? I hope so. Where, you had scientists and doctors around the world saying, hey, there's a problem here with some of these responses to COVID, including shutdowns and lockdowns and getting kids to not go to school or do anything outside in activities. And, and those scientists and doctors told the truth. But were they allowed to? I guess you could say, well, they were allowed to. But what were the repercussions of saying that that felt very much in opposition to the narrative of safe and effective? It was like, whoa, we got to shut these people down. We got to call them names. We got to tell, tell you, the rest of the world, that those people are wrong by saying they're not telling the truth. They're misinformed. They're disinformed. They're malinformed or they're malinforming you. And so the question is, you know, is begged to be asked, should try just be allowed to tell the truth? Well, technically, they're allowed to tell the truth right now. It's just the repercussions of telling the truth that violates the fundamental narrative that is imperative to keep the medical monopoly and its drug and vaccine practices going without competition means that if you tell the truth, you're going to pay a price. Your professional standing at the very least will be diminished, if not eliminated. If you have a license, they're going to threaten to take it away. If you're engaged in Medicare or Medicaid payments in your practice, they will come after you for fraud and they will not only delicense you, they will find you to the point of bankruptcy. So telling the truth has its consequences, which reminds me of another game show. Super Don, was there a game show called Truth or Consequences? <laughs> wow, you're on a roll. 
I, it's I a think fascinating. Thing everybody, go watch the Game Show Network after the show's over here. And we, yeah. Oh, what was your favorite uh, uh, game show growing up? Gosh, a favorite game show. Just right off the top of your head. Well, I'm just thinking. I just remember them. I don't know. I can't say favorite, but the one I it keeps coming back. The Price is Right. That was of a big course. One you remember right. Joker's Wild? Joker's Wild. I do remember that. I that loved was that show. And then yeah. the, what was that one? There was one where it had like this, 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 this thing that went around. Certainly, you had to hit the button and it would stop. And they had this little animated character guy that would, uh, if you get, if you lost, oh, I got to remember what that one. I don't is, remember it, that one. I yeah, do remember. Anyway, uh, what was it? The fifty thousand dollar pyramid. That was. Were you oh, yeah. Yeah, that was Dick Clark. Yeah, was he on that Wasn't one? he the one that hosted that, I thought? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, anyway, anyway. I don't know how we're getting Off the on a tangent. Show. Truth or I, consequences. I, yes. I think, Super Don, the, the game show analogy, not intentionally, but it's an important one because it shows the artifice, if you will, the artifice of all of these arguments. Oh, the gong show. The gong yeah. show. Yeah, hey, that was show. a good one. Yeah, I mean, if we could only gong, <laughs> you know, the lying scientists and the lying doctors, but you know, yep. they've used their gong, their megaphone to shout down and drown out those of us who spoke against the narrative, who were, in, in, tr in fact, proven to be correct, to be right, to be truth tellers in, well, having to dig for the facts that they didn't want revealed. Remember, what was it? The FDA said, hey, can we not reveal the, the facts for another 75 years? I mean, that was like, what? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was what? great. What is that? That and was so great. Yep. Digging deep and finding those facts and revealing them is like, whoa, you're a conspiracy theorist. There's another way they attack truth tellers. Now, I what I want to do is I want to I want to just for a moment, yeah, uh, acknowledge the 800 pound gorilla in the room here, which is uh, the fact that we've got Paul Offit is the one that's asking the question <laughs> and pointing out the yeah. lack of transparency in COVID nineteen policies. Yeah. This guy, he's he's been a surprise more than once during the, the the pandemic situation because this is not the first time where, and I know you reluctantly uh, are, do this when it happens. <laughs> yeah, that we have to acknowledge the fact that for whatever reason, the uh, the, the guy that was probably public enemy number two, yeah, next to Fauci, uh, for us and a lot of people, uh, has been the guy that has come out and uh, had some issues. With some things that we would, and, and we'd have to agree with him on these things. Well, I think that we even invited him on the show around this time where well, he that, had some disagreements with. That's uh, true. We attempted for, for those of you said, that. No, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah we, we covered that. But I think to, you know, for his character, you know, not to assassinate his character, he does enough to do assassinate his own character. I would feel like my inclination is to believe that he does this for plausible deniability so that he can say, well, mm -hmm. I did raise some issues, right? Maybe. When it becomes obvious, as it has become obvious, here's but, here's here's my 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 uh, theory on that. Mm -hmm. He really, you know, uh, he's part of the advisory board, mm -hmm. right, for the FDA on yeah. vaccines. I think, right? I think it if I'm point, not mistaken, he's part of some advisory board. Yeah, uh, and it wasn't, I guess, not too long ago when they were approving. I think it was the boosters. He had an issue with that. But what happened was the FDA uh, bypassed the advisory board that he sat on mm -hmm. and made their own decision without his input. Yeah. And that really ticked him off. And ever since then, it seems like he's now been more critical of the process because I think his ego got bruised. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's driven by ego. That's a good point there, Super D. It is. And, you know, his concern 
when we talk about should scientists be uh, able to tell the truth, he hedges his bets here in a sense that he says, well, if the truth will cause somebody not to get the injection, then mm, we might could like massage the truth a little bit. Right. Mm. So it's not a full on. I'm now in 100 percent integrity alignment with Offit. No, I don't think so. It's a convenience based on his religious belief or, or cult like devotion to these things with a few questions here and there, which we'll give him props for. But again, he's not really come on over to the side of light, I believe, based on the little bit that he's saying here. So. I don't know what will solve this, but I find it fascinating. Again, I don't know. The game show analogies came in because it's all a game, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, it isn't really. Yeah, of course, scientists should be able to speak the truth. We love it when they do. We laud them. We applaud them. No. When that truth violates the narrative, they are attacked and denigrated as much as I have been over the years of being a homeopath in, in, in mainstream media, so to speak, talk radio. Uh, not that I'm crying about it. I expect it. But what is different is the medical people didn't expect to be attacked so viciously when they pointed out the inconvenient truths, deeper facts that said the safe and narrative, safe and uh, safe and effective narrative is bogus is BS. It, it's, it's just, it's not there. Um, Steve Kirsch has a, a, a thing out in his sub stack, another, I guess, survey that resulted in a, an analysis that he claims uh, the deaths were primarily caused by the COVID injections. And no, it's not a peer-reviewed, double-blind study, but there there is in epidemiological data ability to make uh, conclusions based on these responses, and that's not being you know addressed even as you go Freedom of Information Act requests. It's like, hey, let's analyze the death data and the vaccine uptake, and when you combine the two, even though they won't do it officially, you find it's devastating and a dis- disastrous as anything has ever been, worse than you can imagine. And so it matters, but the, the government agencies, CDC, et cetera, around the world, they don't want to combine and link those things because it becomes obvious what the truth is based on what the facts are. So I'll leave it at that and see if we can actually, you know what? We've got Jackie Schlegel on. I want to get her into the show here because uh, she's with Texans for Health Freedom and they've done an incredible thing. And as I bring her in, I, I want to relate because you all think all I do is bash Democrats. no. There are Republicans that got a lot to be a lot of work to be done if you want to be freedom people. And that relates to the covid injection mandates. Many Republican controlled states were still supporting corporations mandating that all employees get the shot or else. And you're like, wait, I thought the Republicans were like the party of freedom, right? We hear that compared to the Democrats in some ways. Yes, they are. But in this way, they're like, well, we don't we don't want to tell corporations, companies, businesses what to do and not do. And I get the sentiment. You don't like mandates from government. You don't like prohibitions from government, except for a few things. So I, I get where it's coming from. But what about the impact on the individual? Do you support individual liberty? What about the individual that works at a company? And now their fundamental freedoms as an individual is by, and you go, well, that's OK, because the company did it, it wasn't the government. But who gave life to the company? The corporation. It's an artificial creation of the state. But there may be another, another strategy to get the Republicans on board here to stop these dangerous, unconstitutional mandates, even when they're not from government, but for they're from a company. And Jackie Schlegel and Texans for Medical Freedom have it, and they've done well. And congratulations to you, Jackie. And you got to fill us in on the good news in Texas and how you did it. 
The good news. Thank you so much for having me here. It is a great day for medical freedom in Texas and all over the country because right now in Austin, we have just passed um, the most comprehensive ban on COVID vaccine mandates that really I've seen in the country. Um, I don't know that I have, have seen any other state quite take this aggressive route that we just did here in Texas to say, you know what? Nobody has the right to mandate that you take this liability free vaccine. And that was a big speaking point that we went with. And I'm very excited that we passed the House, we passed the Senate, and we should be headed to the governor's desk shortly with this bill. Any anticipation that he'll veto it or is he on board with it? You know, Governor Abbott actually asked for this bill to be brought up. Um, Here in Texas, we have a two-year political cycle. We're in session every two years. So during our regular session that started in January is really where, you know, we we picked up a lot of momentum for this ban on COVID vaccine mandates. Mm -hmm. And it started government level with SB 29, which prohibits the state from mandating this vaccine. It also prevents mass mandates, school closures as it relates to COVID-19. And that was a really, really good starting point. But session came and went. And unfortunately, we we did not pass the comprehensive ban that we were looking for. And it was actually our governor who then called a special session at the beginning of October, and in that call explicitly stated that he wanted a ban on private employer vaccine mandates. That was right, direct orders from the government, uh, governor himself. And that's what we did. We went to work, uh, working with the stakeholders, working with the legislators to not only deliver on that, um, but to really create a bill um, that would be enforceable and supported here by Texans. And the end result is SB7 um, that has an enforcement mechanism that includes a $50,000 administrative fine if you violate um, what Mm -hmm. we hope is soon come along. Yay. Now, Jackie, you... You have encountered some of the difficulty I have seen with Republicans as much as they're better on a lot of things and Dems over COVID and, and freedom issues. But they were reluctant in, and in many states uh, are still reluctant to prohibit companies from making their own policy on COVID. And I get their philosophy is pro-business. We don't want the government telling us, you know, what to do. But as I pointed out in just a little bit before I brought you on, that it violates the fundamental individual liberty upon which all liberties exist, right? Not group liberty. There's no such thing as a Marxist freedom, you know, collectivist freedom. So you encountered that, I imagine, as well. And I want you to talk to me about what you encountered and how the strategy shifted to succeed. You hinted at it, but go a little bit more into depth because I think other people from other states need to know this to apply it there too. Absolutely. Well, you know, it is an ever evolving um, um, message that we're continually addressing the the questions in the legislature. I've been doing this professionally in the Texas House for the last 10 years. And I do think, you know, 
COVID really did spur some great conversations, but on the heels of it, you know, Republicans had seen we had these shutdowns and, you know, we had sweeping mandates that really businesses were very upset with. And now you're asking us to come enforce a different type of, you know, mandate on our businesses, which is not allowing them to protect, you know, what they see as the health and safety of their own businesses. And we did get a little bit of pushback um, on this. And in particular, one conversation comes to mind with a legislator who just said, you know, Jackie, I just can't get on board with the trampling of business rights. And I let him speak his mind. And I said, Representative, with all due respect, the government really started this on the federal level when they passed the law prohibiting compensation when they gave the manufacturers you know, made them free from liability. Don, are you hearing a strange sound coming from Jackie? That's she, it went all robotic for a second there. Yeah, something going on. Can you drop and reconnect real quick? I want to get this. This is so important what Jackie's about to share. So disconnect, reconnect, and we'll plug you back in. It's funny, right? As she's going into mm-hmm. the strategy, that could be so valuable. There you are, Jackie. We'll see if the audio be- is better. Please start over in you know what you encountered, what you, and then how you countered the we don't want to tell businesses what to do. Sure. So I'm having this conversation with a representative who says, you know, we don't want to tell businesses what to do. We've already trampled on their rights. And my response to that was, you know, government already took that step in 1986 when they shielded manufacturers from liability and and they they told us you know that they were going to give them these protections um and that we could not see compensation you know that already infringed upon our rights and now as a state the only recourse we have to protect individual rights and liberties is to ensure that um, we are free from these mandates. And that applies to businesses um, uh, across the board. So you you switched the gears a little bit to, to, uh, I guess, a state's rights scenario. Like here we are in the state of Texas and the feds are the ones that actually set this up. And so you pitted yeah. a, a, a common Republican theme of we don't like the federal government telling us what to do and saying that's really what's happening here. You need to push back on that. That's an interesting, again, strategy. And I don't know what inspired you in that moment to respond accordingly. But what was the response then? Did did you disarm that representative it, Republican guy? It was a stunning turn. It it, it literally, the body language, he stopped, he paused, and he says, I never thought about it like that. You were absolutely right. You know, we're, we are obligated to protect now our citizens. And then he says, how do we fix this? And I said, well, you know, first things first, we got to get SB7 to the finish line. I mean, that is the number one goal, but it does lead to a bigger question, especially on the federal level. I mean, as long as these products 
are put out there and they they are free from liability, we're going to continue to see these government mandates, I mean, these corporate mandates, um, push down our throats even when we don't want them. Mm-hmm. Well, I said brilliant strategy. And, you know, part of what we call winning for freedom is about being, let's say, nimble enough to pivot when we are confronted with what we think is a winning argument with someone who would normally you'd think agree with the argument and then they find an objection to it. Do you then yell and scream or do you get, let's say, let's dig deeper and go, all right, there's something that's not landing here. How do I communicate this in a way that would resonate? And that, you know, that's the example you've given right there. And maybe it won't work everywhere, but I have a feeling it will now because there are far fewer Republicans that think it's a good idea for companies, corporations sure. to mandate these injections. But they're looking for a way that they can explain it to their, I don't know, con- either it's constituents or those who are are uh, supporting them with money. I don't know what it is, but that reluctance has been a blind spot for many of these Republicans that it, that are in Republican controlled states and they're still not, you know, uh, you know, fully pushing back on this like you've described. Sure. And I, I want to point out that here in Texas, not only do we have overwhelming Republican support, we had several Democrats that have crossed over and voted for this legislation. During the regular legislative session, I had nine Democrats in the Texas House that crossed over and voted um, for, for kids on Medicaid to be able to access care regardless of their vaccination status. That is legislation I have worked on for the last six years of my life. And we saw that signed into law. So change is happening. But to answer your question, you know, about how do I approach these legislators, I think it's very, very important for them to know that every single day they're in session, they are going to see the friendly face of medical freedom. They know they can come to me, they can ask their questions, they can state their concerns. We are not always going to agree, but I will always treat them with respect and I will always shoot them straight. And it has been a slow process, um, but I think we are yielding the results of that type of advocacy uh, here in the state of Texas. Hmm. Well, you you know this is about establishing, as you just pointed out, long-term relationships with these folks. They're used to seeing lobbyists and they become you know, almost like an extension of themselves. And the average folks are going, how could you vote that way? And until you understand that they're being bombarded and this does not to excuse their behavior when they when they vote against your freedom. But you've got to go there and meet them at that level consistently to gain their uh well, if not their trust, their respect, at least, but the respect can result in the trust and vice versa uh, to the point where you could succeed. Now, something motivates you, Jackie. There's something that m- might have happened in your past that opened you up to the reality that uh, as much as you might lean or anybody might lean more conservative and constitutional Republican, that we can't just say, hey, look, we're a Republican dominated state. Everything's good because uh, the, the folks that lobby in Democrat controlled states will find a way to, to reach in and, and get a Republican or two or 10 their way. Sure. Uh, so what is it in terms of the medical freedom issue specifically that drew you in and, 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 you know, has that, you have that fire to fight for it. 
Sure. Well, there's so much I want to unpack here. You had mentioned previously the lobbyist. Look, I'm in Austin. Um, I'm there on a daily, weekly basis during session. I know the lobbyists. I know the big associations. And it is um, an incredible experience to be there representing individuals and patients and parents. And for the first time that I have seen in the last 10 years, they are taking us seriously. They now don't just see us as the little mom group. They see us as a force to be reckoned with and rightfully so. We're passing bills left and right. We have a seat at the table and we're doing it with a fraction of the budget that these associations um, have to advance their cause. So I'm an incredibly proud of the work that's going on and the fact that we are representing uh, citizens and moms and dads and parents. But yeah, this started for me as a parent. Um, I have a 22-year-old who was vaccine injured as an infant. This changed my world. It changed my life. It opened me up to something that I didn't even know existed. Up until this point, I had no idea that vaccines were anything but safe and effective for all people all the time. Mm. That changed my experience. And then professionally, 10 years ago, there was a bill filed in the state of Texas that would have removed my right to make that decision for my children. And this was a, a logistical issue for me. I had kids who were going to school. They were telling me they couldn't go if they were fully up to date with all of their vaccines. And it was just fundamentally, it went against everything I believed in. I did not believe the state had the right to make this decision for me and my family. And that's when I got involved here um, with medical freedom and organized a statewide organization to take on this issue of medical freedom and vaccine freedom and, and ensuring that I had the right to inform consent mm -hmm. for me and for my children. And I don't think really any amount of money can rival what we have as parents to protect those we love, that burns so deep in my soul. And I get this question all the time in Austin, what fuels you? What drives you? How do you have so much energy? Well, I have so much energy because I'm in the fight of my life for my children. This isn't a job for me. I don't just go and clock out. This is my life. I represent families, people who have lost their jobs. I have had um, adults come to us who were forced to take this vaccine, who were injured and have no recourse. Now they can't provide for their family. You know, to have a dad call me and say, I don't know what to do. They forced me to get the first shot. I had a horrible reaction. Now they're telling me if I don't get a second one, I'm going to lose my job. What happens when I can't work and provide for my family? Jackie, what do I do? You know, those are the stories that burn deep in your soul and cause you to get up every single morning and pound the pavement for medical freedom and keep sharing our stories to ensure that we preserve our rights. Jackie. Uh the debt of gratitude to people, uh, I think at this point, specifically of Texas, so you and what you're doing. And I, I know you're not doing it for accolades as you played it out perfectly in terms of what motivates you. And you're like many of the warrior moms I've met. You can't be defeated. 
because it's not about money. But the question is, how is it possible that people with very little or no money or have children who are injured under the autism spectrum? And you know how costly that is yep. in terms of expense and or just the time you 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 have to spend with a kid that becomes an adult that's still a kid that never has the ability to truly take care of themselves when they're injured severely enough. And yet you continue to pound away day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year, which is something you probably never envisioned when you were a child doing. I, I never imagined this would be my life, but truly it, it's the grace of God, because just from a logistical standpoint, if you saw my life, if you saw behind closed doors, you would be shocked that I'm able to do this work. But again, I just every day have prayed because I do know there are so many families out there that I have to represent that I have to be their voice because they are home changing the diapers of their 25 year old child. And these stories never leave me. And I have just prayed, God, if you provide, if you allow me to go do this work, no matter how hard it is, no matter what the haters say on social media, no matter what's happening, I will put my head down and I will get into that building and I will have one conversation at a time and we will win over hearts and minds. And, you know, that's something I really, really want everyone watching and listening because sometimes you think, well, you know, I don't have an organization or I can't go lobby or I can't do this. Everybody can have one conversation at a time. And you don't know where that conversation is going to lead to that is going to change an opinion. That particular representative that I said, you know, we had that exchange and that one line that I said to him changed his perspective. Mm -hmm. I've had multiple conversations with him in the past, but this week it clicked with him. Everything came together. His perspective changed. He voted for the bill. And now he's asking what he can do in the future to advance medical freedom. So, you know, you just never know. You just got to do the work. Hmm. Well, I've often heard it said a miracle is a changed consciousness. And you were part of a miracle in that moment. And what you did and what you were guided to do and how you communicated. And uh, folks, there's a lot of reasons to be angry. And upset over a lot of that's happened and happening. And yet you found a way after how many years of this to not, not give up, not only not give up, but to be better and better at how you communicate the fundamental principles upon which you rest and, and what you believe. And you never were swayed by it to the point where you could impact those that maybe you think would have an affinity for your viewpoint, but just still didn't get it. You're like, yeah. What do I got to do? Beat somebody over the head with a bat? No, you appealed to their intellect on some level, but I know there was a spirit essence to that too, because it's who you are, which is more than just, you know, a keen intellect in this regard. So uh, is there anybody that you want to acknowledge, uh, you know, openly, verbally right now that has helped out that, you know, helped to secure a victory here looks like impending as Governor Abbott signs this soon? Sure. Governor Abbott, of course, you know, we're just so thankful 
for him, you know, for sitting down two years ago and even engaging in the medical freedom discussion. This was new to a lot of people in the state of Texas and his office has been open and receptive and we're so thankful for that. Senator Mays Middleton in the Senate, he is the author of the bill. He has filed numerous bills for us in previous legislative sessions. This issue was a little new to him, um, but he came in with an open heart and open mind. He was willing to learn what he needed to, and he has worked with uh, Dan Patrick in the Senate to get this bill out of the Senate and over to the House. And then in the House, we had uh, Representative Jeff Leach, who has just been, again, a champion, start to finish. He made a commitment that when that bill came over from the Senate, we were going to maintain the integrity of it. We were going to strengthen the bill if at all possible. And that's exactly what the House did. The House strengthened the bill. They expanded it to uh, medical students and nursing nursing students, which was a huge win. They increased the penalty from $10,000 to $50,000. And you can see the legislators there, 10 of them, Um, Those are the champions of the House in in the state of Texas. And I'm just so thankful, Dr. Oliverson, uh, Chairwoman Click, who is pictured. They've just been champions for medical freedom. I mean, Dr. Oliverson, uh, again, a a doctor um, standing for medical freedom, Chairwoman Click, pictured there is a nurse. And we could not have made the progress we have, especially in the medical community, without their support. Nice. Very, very nice to hear and see. And I appreciate your uh, being able to express your gratitude for those that also work with you on this to succeed, where before it looked like it wasn't possible to win this. We're going to keep winning. This is the first of many wins to come. We're going to do it in the state of Texas. We're going to duplicate it across the country. And we are going to change uh, really the course of medical freedom, I believe, for the United States. So I just hope anybody watching and following today, join us at Texans for Medical Freedom because this is an organic grassroots boots on the ground. And it's, you know, podcasts like this, it's getting the message out there that's really going to uh, turn the corner for medical freedom. Texans for medical freedom.org. And those of you around the country in various states, take heed of what has been accomplished here, how it's been done, and maybe you can duplicate it in your state. As Jackie just said, the, the, the fight is far from over. This success begets more success as long as you keep at it, keep building on those successes. Because we for too long have been not part of this process. If you wonder how we got here. It didn't happen overnight either on the bad guy side. They took a long time to get her to the point where we would finally be woken from our slumber. Go, you know, we just wanted to be left alone. But now that they've targeted our children and us and everybody, then suddenly it's like, okay, now they've overstepped their bounds. And in a point uh, where we would go, I'm going to leave my comfort zone and do things that I didn't think I could do. And in your case, like with a child, an adult child now who's been injured severely by vaccines to be able to find a way to do this. And God bless you for doing it. And anybody that supported you and being able to do it as well. That's not an easy task, even if you just have the perfect home life with kids that are not injured at all. It would be hard to do. 
it, it is a task. And again, that group of legislators that you saw, I mean, some of those guys were talking to me back in, you know, 2017, 2019, when literally other legislators would put signs in their door that said, if you weren't up to date with your vaccines, you weren't allowed in that office building. Wow. Right? So, you know, we have been through the ringer. And again, I'm just I'm so thankful for each of them for coming to the table and having the discussion, even if they didn't understand it at the time. You know, again, that's how we went over the hearts and minds is sitting down at the table, having the discussion. And we're just grateful to be in the position leading the charge, um, we believe, nationally on this issue. Yeah. Well, we've got events coming up. I'm going to be in. Arizona, Scottsdale, Phoenix, Arizona, with Dr. David Brownstein, Dr. Brian Artis, Dr. Jack Wilson, Judy Mikovits, Dr. James Thorpe, uh, Dr. Richard Urso, so many more, Kimberly Overton. Uh, it's going to be an amazing group of folks, Henry Ely, and this will be in the desert, but it'll be like in the 80s. It's going to be beautiful. Functional Medicine Summit and Expo, Phoenix, Arizona, November 3rd, 4th, and 5th. We also have at the Giving Tree Restaurant, Organic Vegan Restaurant in Phoenix, an event Friday evening with Dr. Artis, myself, and Judy Mikovits, and then there'll be a Sunday after the event as well. So there's a, there's a bunch of stuff going on. And I know you're going to be, I think, in Savannah at the Children's Health Defense event or or maybe you know people that are simultaneously i will be in arizona so i'm actually headed to arizona oh you're coming yes. to the arizona event so we're going to see you jackie there. I'm, I'm on a panel that i believe you might be i'll moderating. be moderating then yeah awesome jackie this is so cool i didn't realize you were coming to that one so that's wonderful uh also um i mentioned in the new year uh in texas thanks to tracy slepsevic autism health summit 2024 February 2nd, Groundhog Day and February 3rd at the JW Marriott San Antonio Hill Country Resort uh, and Spa in San Antonio, Texas. And uh, I'll be there, Dr. Andrew Wakefield, Del Bigtree, Dr. James lyons Uh, Dr. Jerry Cartsonell, Dr. Jan Tracy. I mean, it's going to be an amazing event. And I think anybody from Texas or anywhere can get there, plan ahead. And by the way, I just got a, a post and a message from Tracy who's putting it on. Uh, there's a promo early bird pricing ends today, Halloween, October 31st, 2023. If you're um, not uh, aware of this yet and you want to become aware of it, promo code is AHS2024 and you'll get $25 off your registration. I don't know if I can make that bigger, but anyway, there's a little Halloween thing she sent out and it's on Instagram as well. So uh, hopefully, Jackie, we can see you and others from Texas for Medical Freedom at that event, uh, actually in your home state, which would be amazing too. And that is, I need to look that up. So I appreciate you sharing that information. Yeah. Well, I so appreciate you. I, I'm very excited that you're going to be joining us in, in Arizona as well. And I'll see you in just a few days. Yes, sir. I will be there. All right, Jackie. Thanks for being on board today. Great message, empowering message. We need the wins. We need, we need word of the wins. We need to celebrate them and then continue to build on those successes and not go back and allow the bad guys to do what they've done for now generations. So thank you again, Jackie. Thank you. All right. We got a homeopathic hit today coming up, and uh, it does thematically tie into the Halloween theme. For those of you who don't celebrate it, don't worry. Just just laugh it off. You don't have to uh, participate. As I said, if you give away candy, uh, you know, just tell the kids to throw it away or do something with it if you're going to do that. I, like I said, I, I think you should give away hairballs. That'd be healthier from cats that throw them up than the, the candy that those kids eat. Oh, I know that was gross, but hey, it's Halloween. Isn't it time to be a little bit gross? You think? I think. Anyway, we got Dr. Mark Richards coming up in hour two. Uh, nobody wants you healthy. Achieving better health by avoiding the corruption in modern medical science is the subject next hour. 
with Dr. Mark Richards. Uh, we also have a shout out to my friend, Bobby Oren. Interesting. I'm talking to him off the air about things and it's very exciting what he's doing. Uh, of course, with Folium, Folium products, if you hit, hit a ceiling and you're healing, you want to break through, break that brick wall down and not hurt yourself doing it. Look to the Folium products, foliumpx.com, get, get RSB15, that's the code, I'm sorry, RSB10. Get discount when you get the uh, Folium products. Do the Folium Original, Folium Immuno, Folium Relax. This is the stuff that got my mom back on the dance floor at 89. She suffered through the three COVID years brutally, whether it was COVID or not, it's arguable, but regardless, it, it, she was on a downturn. And thank God for the Folium products, got her back dancing again at 89. And I want to see everybody being healthy and strong and realize that we have to bind and excrete those heavy metals and, and the exposure to ionizing radiation is another issue that we need to counteract. So check it out, foliumpx.com. He is uh, connecting me with, I, Super Don, do you, you like reggae music? We, we like talking music here on the show. You like reggae? Not a big fan of reggae, are you? It's not something I seek out, but I mean, I don't mind it. I mean, there's Bob some, there's Marley, some, of course. Yeah, there's stuff there's some good paid, stuff but, out there. Yeah. So there's a guy, I believe his name is Buju. Has anybody ever heard of this guy? He's like a top flight recording artist from Jamaica, <clears throat> uh, reggae. And he's a he's a big fan of the Folium products mm. in addition. And I, I love reggae and I love Jamaica. I've, you know, my best friend growing up in high school, from, his family from Jamaica, I was adopted into that family too. And so we were likely going to have an interview with him. And, and may, may, many people know about it. I mean, I'm old and I'm not up on the latest music, but when it comes to reggae in the, uh, in the lineage of a Bob Marley, it's like, dude, that's awesome. So that might be coming up soon as well uh, as far as future shows. So I'm excited about that. It's funny. I, I actually shared a post today. It was a uh, a reunion of the guys. You remember that movie with uh, John Candy? It was called Cool Runnings. Yes, yes. And the, the four guys yeah. got together. Uh, oh, look at that! And, and look at that! Right. Those were that, the actors from the movie. They right. Those were the four guys on, on the, the Jamaican team. bobsled team. Yeah. What? A, that was a great feel-good movie. It was uh, good movie. Yeah. Anyway, that's yeah. cool. So yeah, for me, if I can get some Jamaican reggae going, I think it's all for the better for all of us. Uh, we need a little more uplifting. There you uh, go. So that's coming up. Also, shout out to Nutritional Frontiers. They got a $99 free shipping special going on and you can use the code RSB15 to get discounts. And I would show my muscles, but I'm wearing a hoodie, but I could say muscles by the super creatine that I get from them, which is a clean version that com that comprises more than just creatine because I was never one that would support taking it because of the impact on kidneys and other things. But they've comprehensively formulated something that I felt I can do. And it's really helped me to put some serious muscle mass on me. Uh, and I don't even do, quote unquote, bodybuilding. It's more kickboxing with a little bit of weight work. And uh, appreciate them for all they do, including the DMG that I learned about from uh, Judy Mikovits. The inner DMG lozenges should be part of your daily regimen to counteract the inadvertent exposure to glyphosate, which is in almost everything. And as organic as I am, I don't know if I'm exposed, likely am. So I use the inner DMG to counteract as well because the glyphosate just it pushes out the glycine. It destroys connective tissue. It creates leaky gut and worse. It's it's its own anti quote unquote, biotic, et cetera, in our life. And we're promoting life here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. And that means we have to do a homeopathic hit on Halloween. That's pretty yes, spooky do. and scary and pretty appropriate. Are you ready? Playing all of the homeopathic hits every day, right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Yeah, each and every day we, can, we have time to do it. We do homeopathic hits. Today's homeopathic hit is Tarantula Hispanica. Yeah. Yay. Scary. Tarantula. Yes. 
Hispanica, mm-hmm. Spanish spider, Hispanic spiders. Now, I wonder if this is going to be cultural appropriation in homeopathic terms, but I'm going to risk it. <laughs> <laughs> we got to do a spider remedy. And remember, the spider <clears throat> venoms are very potent uh, in terms of what they can do harm to you, just as snake venoms are and cone snail venoms are. And so we have these options in homeopathy and Super Don is uploaded. Mm. I think it's ready as a PDF. Every day we do these homeopathic hits that give you a brief insight, a brief introduction to the various single ingredients, single remedies to give you some, uh, uh, let's say, confidence and going, hey, maybe I maybe I can look into that a little bit more. And uh, that's what that PDF is for for you there. And you can download it at robertscatbell.com for free. I don't know why, but Super Don says it's free. So good Lord, you get it for free. Thanks for supporting us. At the very least, please share the show. A lot of people don't know about it. Just because you do doesn't mean everybody else does. So this is a remedy that's known for uh, addressing things like restlessness and hyperactivity. And it's just can do in these homeopathic hits, but it's all we're going to delve into some of these uh, properties of tarantula hispanica. Again, it's derived from the venom of the Spanish spider. And this substance, this venom is carefully uh, diluted and succussed in the homeopathic preparation according to the pharmacopoeia. Here we have the homeopathic pharmacopoeia of the United States, HPUS. And uh, you come up with a remedy that could be in various potencies we'll get into in a little while. But some of the key char- characteristics of this remedy physically hitting the issues of restlessness, twitching and spasms. Now, it could make sense when you talk about spider venom impacting or causing symptoms like that or worse. And so you can utilize that not just for the spider bite itself, but for similar suffering. That's the law of similars. And when a mental uh, construct or sense of health is uh, addressed with this remedy, you might see hyperactivity, impulsiveness, a sense of urgency. You'll feel all of these things mentally, and that could go, oh, that might indicate the use of tarantula hispanica. Now, primarily, again, the focus, we're going into a very narrow d- discussion because we don't have a lot of time here. But when you open up the Materia Medica, it'll expand on this, the Boraki in particular I use, but restlessness, effective for dealing with that, especially when accompanied by, again, twitching and spasms. When you're dealing with mental or other aspects of uh, manifestation of symptoms, hyperactivity is one of those things that's indicating the potential use of this remedy. Impulsiveness, particularly when accompanied by a sense of urgency or easily agitated. You're easily agitated. So you begin to, to, to nail down more detail as you go further and further to say, is this the right remedy or could it be something else? Or could there be a, a couple of complementary remedies we can address as well? So as we move down from the primary uses, we look into potencies and dosages. Now, as a homeopath, I tend to defer initially to lower potencies more frequently especially for self-care or self-help, right? As long as you're, you're dealing with uh, easily self-diagnosable uh, things that aren't looking terminal, you know, you can do these things safely with homeopathy. You won't suppress or cause toxicity. So when you're dealing with acute phase, early onset, e- e- sudden onset kind of things, you can do 6X, 12X, 12C, 30C, anything like that on your own. Repeat as needed. Let your symptoms be your guide. Whereas if you go into the higher potencies, 200C, 1M, I would urge you to consult with a homeopath or someone qualified to go deeper into the, I mean, deep chronicity, even going into miasmic issues as it relates to some of these things that manifest in the body that may not be an acute sudden onset, you know, an exposure issue. So here's some uh, complementary remedies that uh, you can look into. We have not covered this one, Hyoscyamus 
and this is often used after tarantula hispanica for lingering symptoms of restlessness or twitching. So that's something you want. Well, we'll get to a homeopathic hit on that one. That's a, a not a very commonly prescribed remedy, but I've used it. And stramonium. I, I've referenced this particular homeopathic remedy as the remedy for intense anger. You know, road rage without the road and without the rage. You know, like, what is this anger? But his, this is also complementary with hyperactivity, especially when there is fear, anger, or delirium present. So that could indicate, oh, do we need stramonium too? And then I'll add in magnesium phosphorica or phosphoricum, magphos for short. This is a remedy that is often indicated for muscle spasms, which might include nervousness and twitchiness. You know, magnesium being key here, but magphos is a homeopathic remedy. So there you go. Pretty, pretty cool. There are other options that you can go to. So remember, as a homeopathic remedy, this and others, including spider venom from the Spanish spider, is safe as a homeopathic remedy. But if you're dealing with long-standing conditions, severe conditions, please consult someone that can help you when you feel like you need it. That's appropriate. And if symptoms worsen or persist, consult somebody that can help you. This is not intended to replace anything that you need in terms of help from a doctor or otherwise, but it is educational, informational with the intent in providing more information so you make a fully informed decision about your health, the health of your children. So reminder, tarantula hispanica, a versatile homeopathic remedy addressing a lot of these things, restlessness, hyperactivity, uneasiness, and things like that. So thanks for joining us on another homeopathic hit. Count down all the hits <laughs> right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. We got a whole other hour of broadcast healing. Can you believe it? Check it out at robertscottbell.com. Archives available everywhere except where we're banned, like on uh, Spotify. Yeah, they banned us there. Uh, let's see, where are we not banned? Everywhere else. Don't worry about it. Well, LinkedIn, we're banned there. And of course, YouTube. But everywhere else, you can find us. Or come on over, become a supporter through our patron support. And I'll tell you about a bonus for patron supporters in a moment when we come back from this break. And a, a lecture I did for the first time at the uh, Healing Strong Conference in Houston last month. With that, going to take a pause. Be back. Dr. Mark Richards is scheduled. He's got a, a new book out that you'll you'll definitely want to check out. We're going to have a fun time talking about that with him and more. If you have questions or comments, enter them in the chat room. Back after this, because the power to heal is yours. All right, this hour on the Robert Chat Bell Show, there's a book I want you to know about, and the guy who wrote it, he's coming on board. Dr. Mark Richards in a few minutes will be here. The headline, nobody wants you healthy. Achieving better health by avoiding the corruptions in modern medical science. You know, when we ask the question, should scientists and doctors be allowed to tell the truth? Dr. Mark, Mark Richards is not waiting for permission. He's telling it. And we're going to enjoy a conversation with him this hour. Uh, also briefly, I'll, I'll tell you about uh, a site that reveals a lot of great cancer breakthroughs as well. Good folks that uh, you won't hear about in the mainstream media other, other than when they're denigrated or made fun of or claimed to be conspiratorial in, in, in a negative context about, you know, cures for cancer that well clearly don't exist unless they're approved of by the Fear and Death Administration. Uh, but first, I want to remind you of the patron support. Uh, thank you for that. That helps us to do the things like migrate our website away from GoDaddy into something that's more supportive, SiteGround, where we're going to be. Uh, and there are glitches to get there, but thank you all for that. Also, uh, just uh, Superdot is going to be adding this. I don't know what the status is uh, with this, but 
Uh, I just got my lecture that I presented at the Healing Strong Conference, their 10-year anniversary in Houston, Texas. Uh, is it last month or early in October? Uh, we're almost out of October. And uh, they made that available. We're going to make that available first to you as a patron supporter. Uh, so you'll have access to a lecture that I've never really given a full, fully lecture because they wanted me to talk about the various uh, differences between allopathic medicine, naturopathic medicine, and within naturopathic medicine, various naturopaths, uh, within allopathic medicine, integrative, complementary, what does that all mean? Homeopaths, herbalists, all of that. In addition to, of course, always take the opportunity to teach you about the minerals you may de be deficient in and how that manifests in terms of symptoms that are not drug deficiencies, for instance. Uh, so that's an hour long lecture. I intended to have Q&A, but there was too much to cover and I, I ran out of time, but I had a great, great conversation with many of you who attended the Healing Strong Conference and shout out to Susie Griswold and all the crew that made that possible. Now, one of the great groups that we support here is called the Alliance for Natural Health. They have Alliance for Natural Health, anh-usa.org. They also have the Alliance for Natural Health UK and Europe. And Dr. Robert Verkirk, PhD, one of the smartest guys you'll ever meet. What a delight, a great heart. And he's a friend and, uh, you know, I'd have him on every day if he had time to do it. But he was just in the States at uh, a, a cancer breakthrough type conference. It was called Winning the War on Cancer. Uh, it was earlier in October. ANH was doing it with the Beljansky Foundation. And uh, many of my friends were there. I wish I could have been there, but I was at uh, there are too many conferences going on simultaneous to that, including the Health Freedom Expo, which will be, the virtual expo will be available to you in February. We'll get you information on how to access everything you might have missed. But there are so many ways to address cancer. Cancer need not be a death sentence, as you know. Uh, between Ty Bollinger and the truth about cancer, various series and books, we know that is a fact. We had Mark Richardson Jr. We just had his wife on yesterday from AMP News, uh, which was fun. But uh, even the utilization of something from the natural world like apricot seeds or kernels and, and the laetrile, vitamin B17, it, it has in it. What is it impacting? How is it impacting? Is it really safe? All of those things we address. But rather than addressing them with scientific integrity or any integrity, uh, the mainstream media that runs on pharmaceutical fuel will just shout down and yell at you and tell you you're crazy, you're kooky, you're spreading misinformation, disinformation, or engaged in malinformation spreading. So the ANH USA Award from the Bel Beljansky Foundation was well-earned, and I appreciate you know what they've done in support and acknowledgement as well of ANH and Robert Verkirk and others. And you guys can check it out there. A lot of great pictures from the event. And uh, as I said, this whole ability to reach out beyond what's known as mainstream or legacy media with lies and deceit because the money they got is coming from the pharmaceutical industrial complex. There's way more uh, uh, routes to inform yourself and get informed, including this show. And even medical groups like the AAPS, AAPS Online, Association for American Physicians and Surgeons, who I've been affiliated with for many years and talked about them and, and I've gotten their, their newsletter slash uh, journal. And I always was wondering, what was it about them that allowed them to speak directly about controversies, whether it be antibiotic resistance or whether it be vaccines being injurious and dangerous and not efficacious? And I asked years ago, Huntoon, Dr. Huntoon was the uh, editor-in-chief for many years there. I said, how is it possible you as physicians, allopathic doctors, are writing about this? I've never seen this anywhere. And he says, simple, simple. We just take no pharmaceutical money. There are no economic conflicts of interest. So we're allowed to go where the truth takes them, where the facts take them. And I respect those docs that do that. And I believe my guest this hour does that as well. 
And Dr. Mark Richards is here with us now on the Robert Scott Bell Show. He is medical doctor and author of the book, Nobody Wants You Healthy, Achieving Better Health by Avoiding the Corruptions in Modern Medical Science. Dr. Richards, welcome to the Robert Scott Bell Show. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me here. Feels like you've been on the show before, but I couldn't find record of you having been on the show, but I'm glad you're here today. I have never been on the show, but I was in that panel you moderated at the uh, Trinity Health Freedom. That was it. So, yeah, because when I I've, I've interviewed over 1800 people and I only count them once, like if you're on multiple times, it'll only count as one. But uh, I enjoyed you so much at that event, the Health Freedom Expo. And, and of course, Jonathan E. Mord spoke so highly of you before that. And, you, you know, I know you support him as well. Uh, but I was just, like I said, blown away. You had such wonderful things and and really profound things to say in the midst of your training as an allopathic physician and the integrity that you didn't abandon or did you have to regain it because of what medical school did to you well fortunately in my profession my my training is in plastic surgery and plastic surgery is in my opinion unique among all the medical specialties because it's the problem solving profession when you're trained in surgery which i did fully for five years before my plastic surgery training you know, at the time, there was like one way to take out a gallbladder, right? Or one way to take out the appendix. There was the right way and the wrong way. That was it. But when you got to plastic surgery and when you start operating, because I was a fully trained surgeon at that point, I'm doing mm -hmm. training. My mentor turned to me and said, well, how do you want to fix this? And I said, well, what's the right way to fix it? And he said, well, he said, did you look in the books? I said, yeah, I looked in the books. There's like, you know, 10 different ways people were talking about. He said, well, this is the problem solving profession. Nobody's going to tell you how to fix anything. It's your job based on the fundamentals of the science and anatomy and the, that you've learned over the years to decide what is the best solution for this particular problem on this particular patient. So we're actually much more aligned with your thinking than with a lot of our medical colleagues. And that's why I said I didn't have to relearn it. It was ingrained into me. Mm -hmm. um, one more Thing before I, I let you start with the questioning, but you know, one of my mentors and just a wonderful human being was a guy named Joseph Murray at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, where I did my plastic surgery training. And uh, people were in awe of Joe Murray, and I was, of course, in awe of Joe Murray, but I really wanted to talk with him, so I'd always sit next to him at the conferences. And you know, other physicians were afraid to sit next to him for God knows what reason, because the man was fully retired. And he was still coming to all the teaching conferences to talk to us. And for the listeners that don't know, Joe Murray won the Nobel Prize for doing the first successful human kidney transplant. And so here he was, a plastic surgeon, doing the world's first successful kidney transplant. So I got right to the point. I'm like, okay, we're the problem-solving profession, Dr. Murray. How on earth did you go from, you know, doing plastic surgery to performing the first successful kidney transplant? And he said basically sort of what I said a few minutes ago. It's, you know, depending on the science and what you've learned and what he learned with skin grafts and who could take a skin graft and who couldn't and whether identical twins could tolerate each other's skin and that sort of thing. And so he opened up the whole field of tissue immunology. And with that, he figured out how to match two people, a donor and a recipient, so that he could transfer a kidney. And uh, so that's, I mean, that's, I'm a geek. I'm a science geek, you know? I love plastic surgery, but I'm yeah. a science geek. And that's why I base pretty much everything that I, I, I'm going to talk about on, on the science. Well, you totally piqued my interest with that because I, I share that geekiness with you. Uh, you know, I was raised in a pharmaceutical medical family. My uncle was a medical doctor. 
and I mention this all the time, he warned me not to become a medical doctor because I didn't understand at the time, why, do you, why would you, Dr. Uncle Bob, tell me not to be what you are? And, and he, you know, he warned me about government intervention there and how it, would, it was destroying the integrity of the profession. You couldn't do what you knew was right because it would violate whatever. And it was long before there was Obamacare, he was say, saying this. And yeah. eventually I did find homeopathic medicine, which aligned much more with a, a way to help me heal and then help others because I'd been raised pharmaceutically and medically with chronic diseases from almost the day I was born. But doesn't mean I don't appreciate the the finer and excellence within allopathic medicine, particularly in surgery. Like, you know, whether it be what you do in plastic surgery, I, I was able to, because of my uncle, not participate in, but witness in in ORs, right? Be right there. And I worked on, you know, electron microscopes in high school. So I was all into that. I, I studied uh, microbiology at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, which is right now uh, crazy what's going on over there. But I got to do a lot of cool science stuff. And, and yet you, you mentioned a kidney transplant and I'm like, I want to be in there to see how this was done. Not only the <laughs> tissue matching stuff, which is great, but the, the vasculature, how you make all of that occur is like, be, uh, it's like, wow. So I would be with you right there asking him, how did you do it? <laughs> but I, anyway, I love it. So your book, nobody wants you healthy. Uh, obviously it's a, it's a slight exaggeration unless you're in a particular environment where you go, no, 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 they really don't want you healthy. Are we speaking about the same thing here? I don't want to assume when you say the nobody, what is this, uh, let's say uh, box that we're talking about. If you're in that, they don't want you healthy. Okay. So let's get to the two exceptions of nobody wants you healthy of the nobody part. The two exceptions are yourself and your loved ones and usually your personal physician. Those are the two people that really do want you healthy. Uh, for your family and your loved ones, they're not really trained or understand how to get you healthy or keep you healthy. And as regards your personal physician, uh, well over 90% of the time, uh, they have ultimately been trained incorrectly uh, based on what you described in the beginning, which was the uh, money pit that goes into um, having sick people. Uh, as I say in my book, the 90% of the 1.4 trillion that the pharmaceutical industry made in global revenues uh, pre-COVID per year, 90% of that came from treating chronic illness, but never preventing it or curing it. Mm -hmm. So they have a huge disincentive to treat chronic illness and cure it. Then you start looking at um, the insurance industry. And the insurance industry is highly regulated, and you would assume that the insurance industry would want you to be healthy because they're always denying claims for treatments, right? Well, that's not exactly the same thing as making you healthy. But since you're regulated, they get to charge 20%, 25% more than what their total claims were the year before in insurance premiums because that covers their profit and administrative expenses. So actually, the sicker you are, the more premium, the more claims they have to pay out, the more money they get to keep. Uh, so they don't want you healthy. Uh, then you have the hospital systems, and the hospital systems, you know, probably more obviously thrive on um, you being sick. It's you know, really healthy people don't go to the hospital systems. So those are basically the three major industries that don't necessarily want you healthy. And it has ramifications to the integrity, um, which I talked a lot about at the Health Freedom Forum, mm -hmm. uh, of our health system. 
So when you look at a submarine or an aircraft, when it loses integrity, very bad things happen to the people inside it. When you have a health system that loses its integrity, much less a government losing its integrity, very bad things happen to the people inside it. Mm -hmm. So you have a pharmaceutical industry that's now making well over $2 trillion a year in revenues, and they're the largest donors to politicians at the federal level, the state level, and the local level of any other industry by a factor of two. So the bread and butter donations of the people that are doing legal and illegal mandates on how we have to be treated and what things we have to inject in our body are being funded by the very people that are profiting from all those injections and treatments. We as the citizens are not being taken care of because there's a loss of integrity. You have a revolving door between the FDA administrators and the pharmaceutical industry. The pharmaceutical industry donates over half of the FDA's budget. This is a ridiculous scenario that if it was just put in plain English and black and white, people would laugh at it thinking it's a satire, but it's not. Conflicts of interest matter. And I don't know where we get the idea that they don't. When you when you submit things to uh, for peer review, for instance, they ask the question, you know, please reveal you know, all your conflicts of interest. So th it's part of the assessment process. Maybe it impacts the outcome. Maybe it doesn't. But we want expo we want what some level of transparency there. And you made or laid bare that thing that is not transparent for most these conflicts of interest that are investing in not your wellness, your well-being, your health, but ongoing management of symptoms that are profitable indeed. And so let's, you know, let's is, talk about let's talk about peer review. I'm, sure. glad, I'm glad you brought that up, because when you look at these esteemed medical journals, you know, Lancet or New England Journal of Medicine or any of a handful of journals, probably dozens, if not hundreds of them, they're all, quote, peer reviewed journals. That implies that you should trust them because they've been peer reviewed. Nothing could be further from the truth. John Ioannidis, Professor Emeritus of Infectious Disease, Internal Medicine, PhD biostatistician uh, at Stanford University, was the first one in 2005 to point out when he backtracked and looked at it, over 75% of the articles in peer reviewed journals were reproducible in an independent lab. Over 75% were not reproducible. It means over 75% of those studies were very likely false. So that sent an earthquake through the science world. And they thought, no, this can't possibly be true. Well, the National Academy of Science, which is probably somewhat trustworthy, said, absolutely, you know what, he's right. It's well over 75% of these peer-reviewed articles are not true. Well, why are they not true? You know, what's the cause of it? How do they get around it? Are they just lying about their discovery and their data? Well, there's a small percentage that are lying about the data, uh, such as the beta amyloid hypothesis for Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And that was where billions and billions of dollars of research have gone to the last 20 years since this article was first published showing beta amyloid plaques on a micro electron microscopic level. And this is what's causing Alzheimer's. And we just found out maybe six months, eight months ago, that the micrographs were fraudulent. They created those pictures. So the last 20 years of research into Alzheimer's 
was mm -hmm. basically worthless. Wow. But yeah. that's a small percentage. A much larger percentage is they use computers to massage the statistics. They do what's called p-hacking or retrogressive, retrospective retrogressive analysis, where they look at unrelated factors but clump all those people into one group. And then they say, well, look, you know, uh, people that ate fish on Fridays, they also uh, happen to have a higher incidence of this. So we're only going to study people that ate fish on Fridays and put that in the study. And it, it just creates nonsense data. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing is they take advantage of both doctors and the public's ignorance about statistics. So here's, a, here's one I'm sure you're going to really enjoy. There was a large independent study of millions and millions of people looking at the data about cholesterol medications, statin drugs, um, and giving it to people whose cholesterol is over 200. Okay. So a couple things came out of this study. One, the healthiest people in the world were between 220 and 250, okay? If they got to be a lot less than that, they had a higher rate of hemorrhagic or bleeding strokes. A lot higher than that, they had a higher rate of heart disease. So the 200, 220 to 250 was, was like the healthy range for every age group. The second thing is that there's something called relative risk and there's absolute risk. So when the drug companies were telling the FDA that if they gave everybody statin drugs whose cholesterol was over 200, there was a 25% reduction in heart attacks that year. And therefore, everybody should be on it. And the FDA let them go ahead and write, everybody should be on it if they're less. Than now let's put it in the water, right? I had doctors that we we, we quoted right. on this show that said, well, you should just put it in the water. <laughs> okay, right. so yeah. here's, here's the problem with that. Yeah. When you look at the data, mm -hmm. The data said on their own study, on the drug company's own study, okay, this, I'm not even saying the study's true, I'm just saying on their own study, mm -hmm. it showed that there was 20 out of 10,000 people a year who would have a heart attack if they didn't take statin drugs. And there were 16 out of 10,000 that would have heart attacks if they did take statin drugs. You with me? Mm -hmm. So that reduction is a 25% reduction. But the absolute risk that you or I benefit you what I would see is 0.04% improvement. 0.04% improvement if we take that statin drug. Yeah. yeah, relative risk versus absolute risk. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know anybody if they were informed about all the complication and risks of statin drugs would ever take it for a 0.04% improvement. Right, well, and, and the point there is, what are the adverse effects of long-term statin ingestion? devastating. I mean, the things that you begin to list out, you're like, oh my gosh, who would want to do this ever at all? And then Ken, coming back out to the stats showing, you know, on either end of the so-called cholesterol scale, you'll see an equal number of heart events, vascular events in various ways. And that cholesterol has been made a red herring or, or you know, a kind of a straw man of this is the thing we got to deal with because we have a drug that changes the levels of it, not because it's actually the cause of something. And as you point out, and I've pointed this out too, if you have higher cholesterol levels, you're less likely to suffer with dementia later in life as you age. Uh, there's well, some, and you'd, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Because cholesterol is the uh, vast majority of our cell walls. Yeah, exactly. And brain health. Yeah. So these things I pointed out, uh, and of course, because I'm a homeopath and not an MD, they look at me with like, how do you, why? Do you, I mean, I read medical journal articles and have for decades too. Anybody can. You just learn the language. 
but the idea that you know one class of men or women, if you will, have more knowledge than others is, you know, it's an ego-driven uh, illusion, if you will. And uh, we've got to we've got to come off of that and get back to an egalitarian community of healers of all kinds that get together and talk to one another and share and argue and debate even, but for the benefit of those who need help who seek our help. And that's, I've seen what has happened uniquely in the COVID crazy years we've just come through. More, more cooperation, more of the, you know what? I didn't know that. And it's okay that I didn't. And let's share what I know and what you know, and we learn and we get better because of it. That's it's a regaining thing. your integrity. People need to regain their integrity and regain their humanity. It's, but it's, it's an age old problem. I mean, you're looking at the early 1800s and there was a guy named, Semmelweis. Are you familiar with the Semmelweis story? Semmelweis, yes. We've talked about him many times here. Okay. Then, then I won't repeat it on your show, but it basically uh, he was propon a proponent of hand washing after dissecting cadavers before you go and do Deliver babies. Uh, deliveries on <laughs> babies. And they know that's like, you know, nowadays you're like, of course you're supposed to wash your hands before you deliver babies. But back mm -hmm. then, uh, to the powers that be, it meant to them that doctors were causing disease um, and therefore, they could let him speak, and they censored him, and and they kicked him out of Austrians' uh, prominent. Yeah, how hospital. dare you accuse us of doing anything wrong, right? And as I said, the trap is, and this is a human experience thing. It's not unique to the medicine, but medicine plays itself out very well in terms of exalted status, licensure, etc., where it feeds the ego to such a degree that you begin to see yourself above all others. And, you know, this is the concept of an M deity, right? And you may have this heard is, that. This is, this is believing your own press, which is right. Rampant. Exactly. And it's dangerous for anyone, but yes. it's really kind of been institutionalized in medicine. And that's problematic because there are a lot of ways to get well. And there's appropriate times here for allopathic medicine and appropriate times here for other. And the thing is, it's not about exclusivity. It's about how do we cooperate fundamentally with what does that person or patient need and it could be a drug in extreme circumstances or in 99% of the time, maybe it's not. And then what? And then so we have a culture that has shifted from, uh, you know, let's say, health care, in other words, caring for health to disease creation and disease management machinery and the monopolization of the treatment of the very thing that much of that profession is causing. Yeah, it is. I mean, this book, you know, Nobody Wants You Healthy. If people are interested, they can go to nobodywantyouhealthy.com and uh, read about it, see our interview, and order the book if they're interested. But it, it highlights three problems which are leading to epidemics of chronic illness and sickness, um, both mental and physical. And the first problem is the uh, endocrine disrupting chemicals in our environment. Uh, particularly, I point out phthalates. Phthalates are what made plastics, you know, plastic. And that started in 1965. And it's no coincidence that in 1965, um, we had less than 25% uh, of the population with a chronic disease, whereas now we have well over 60% of the population has at least one chronic disease. Uh, obesity was less than 10% in 1965, and now obesity is over 50% of the population. Uh, diabetes was less than 1% or about 1% of the population in 1965, and now over 10% of the population is diabetic. And it all relates to these endocrine disrupting chemicals. Now, the second part of the book is what does the endocrine disrupting chemical disrupt? Well, our most abundant hormone, male, female, our whole life, the most abundant bioactive hormone is a hormone called testosterone. 
And of course, the media loves to say it's a sex hormone, it's a male hormone, it's a whatever hormone. It's not. It's the hormone of life. Once we went from singular cell organisms to multicell organisms, they had to develop a messenger so the cells communicate, and that's a hormone. And the oldest one that we've ever discovered is testosterone. So, and, and if women are scratching their head about this, they should know the science that their doctors don't know, which is that 100% of the estrogen inside your cells, whether it's your bone cells or your muscle cells or your vaginal cells or your bladder cells, 100% of that estrogen inside those cells is made from testosterone inside those cells. Mm -hmm. Because estrogen does not cross that cell membrane that we talked about. And if it doesn't cross the cell membrane, the only way your cells can be healthy is if they have adequate levels of testosterone. I want to back and, out for a moment, Dr. Richards, and go back to the cholesterol issue as well. The yes. reduction of cholesterol results also in the reduction of endocrine health because it's a primary source of these vital youth hormones, as I said, uh, beyond that. So there's a lot, again, of the investment in a wrong, uh, if I could even call it a hypothesis at this point, but a wrong perspective that cholesterol is a villain and made a villain, it's actually its attack or our attack on it has created, you know, numerous other problems, including what you're bringing up here, in addition to the phthalates and other issues. I'm with you on this big time. In fact, we, we had a, a military veteran on who's, a, you know, kind of a, a life coach now. He's talking about when he was in, you know, the military, how they restricted access to certain medications and things. He's like, and he's seeing testosterone is lost in so many. We've, we've uh, wussified the people of America, men especially, turn them into, you know, I don't know, uh, let's say a whole off of what I want to say here at the moment, <laughs> but well, it's changed. Want, it's changed both sexes because testosterone yeah. is a primary a controller of inflammation, mm -hmm. which is why men with low testosterone, because they didn't test the women, they should have, it would have been the same thing, but men with low testosterone had a nine times higher death rate and ICU rate from COVID right. than men with high testosterone because testosterone controls inflammation and getting back to your cholesterol issue. Mm -hmm. Cholesterol is not only your cell membrane, you know, major component, but cholesterol increasing is your body's response to inflammation because it thinks that there's tears in your vascular system and it needs to patch them up as fast as possible. So when we have, you know, refined sugars, when you have, you know, whatever going on and you can't control that inflammation, Yes. Um, even stress, you can't control the inflammation because your testosterone is too low. Your body's going to pump out a lot more cholesterol. So cholesterol is really the symptom of inflammation in a lot of cases. It's not the cause of the problems of inflammation. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, another track that people yeah. are going down wrong. Well, and on the other side of that, where I was wanting to go with the testosterone thing is like, if you're a man and you want to become a woman, right, that perception, they'll give you all the female hormones you want right away. No problem. It's like the weirdest thing. Like there's an investment in making everybody into something that they're not, particularly in terms of their identity. Oh, you froze there. Oh. Can you hear me? It happens. He'll be back. Uh, he'll be back. Okay. <laughs> I didn't freeze, right? It was him that froze. No, it was, it was him. It was okay. him. He Good needs, to know. I feel he, better. He needs to reconnect. So it's the uh, the internet gremlins. They they do this once in a while. Where are you broadcasting from? I'm from Oregon. Okay. Yeah. Let's get Robert to reconnect here. 
All right. So once again, I, let me show everybody the uh, the website there. You said this is nobodywantsyouhealthy.com. This is Correct. where people can go and uh, purchase the book? Yep. All right. Then I have a lot for to tell them about the uh, sex hormones for men wanting to be women and women wanting to be men. Yeah. Well, you know what? He's Let's see. He's trying to reconnect. Let's see what's going on with him here. All right. If if he's gonna be a little bit, I'll just let you. Yeah, just pick up where where he was going there, and um, and let people know what your 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 opinion is there on where he was going. Okay, tell me when we're on. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we're on. Okay, so to your point about giving men female hormones and blocking their testosterone if they want to be women, and then giving women male hormones if they want to be men, there's a real dichotomy here, which proves my book. It, it proves it unequivocally. Because when you block a man's hormone, a testosterone, and you give them female hormones, you make somebody who is emotionally unstable, for the most part, and angry and irritable, because estrogen, unopposed by testosterone, tends to lead to aggressive, irritable states. Whereas the women that want to transition to men, are being given a lot of testosterone, which is called the friendly hormone, as you'll learn in my book. And they're much more calm, happy, you know, satisfied with life going from a man to, uh, from a woman to a man. Now, this carries over into the transgender surgery that some of my colleagues are doing. Um, I won't comment on that, but I will say that they have to stop men wanting to become women, stop all their hormones six weeks ahead of time because the suicide rate and complication rate is so huge when you block their testosterone and give them estrogen, which is exactly what I talk about in this book. It's testosterone that both sexes needed in order to control inflammation to make appropriate amounts of estrogen according to your genetic code. You can't make somebody a man by giving them testosterone and you can't make them a woman by giving them estrogen. You're messing with the endocrine system of life to keep you in good health, both mentally and physically. So this is the wrong approach. I mean, I am familiar with several transgender patients from male to female and from female to male, and they're pretty well grounded, but you know, they are not really into doing the, the genital surgery at all. And they also, um, the women to men are very happy with their testosterone pellets, but the men to women um, just live as a woman, but they are not blocking their testosterone and taking estrogen because they just felt horrendous. I mean, that's essentially prostate, the old fashioned mm -hmm. prostate cancer treatment when they thought prostate cancer was caused by testosterone. Right. Now we know prostate cells are killed by testosterone, but you know, those people had, a, they, they stopped their treatment after four months because they'd rather die than take uh, testosterone blockers. You know, it, it's, it's crazy what our modern medical society is doing for these very unique and complex behavioral issues mm -hmm. that, and, and, and not in large, probably are caused in part by, by, you know, the horrible chemicals in the environment yes. that are poisonous. Uh, I was going to say that, that, you know, before I got, dropped off not not your fault i don't know what happened and glitched out but i'm glad you kept going and thank you super don for making sure that happened because dr richards is is laying it out so importantly and beautifully on these issues uh that the endocrine disrupting compounds of the 20th century have uh added to whole hosts of diseases that are again are very profitable to treat and manage uh but you know we cannot solve them by let's say trying to manipulate chemistry even more synthetically than we already have 
uh, we got to come back to how do we restore the integrity of, let's say, endocrine production of these compounds, for one. What are those precursors? Also, what is the what are the obstacles? What are the synthetic toxic poisons, heavy metals, other things contributing to the lack of production of what we need endogenously? And what can be done when needed from an exogenous source that doesn't cause cancer in terms of maybe manipulating these hormones that aren't there for a variety of reasons? I can answer some of your questions. That's what you're here for. <laughs> All right. Well, um, at some point, I'm going to tip my hat off to our veterans, too, because uh, this is uh, Veterans Month coming up, and we have failed them in the medical system, and mm -hmm. I am reaching out and trying to write this. Uh, it is an extension of this work. So when your testosterone is low, and now I'm just going to tell you some numbers here, okay? So every academic study, international study in the last 40 years or so, um, 450 for a man is a cutoff for a moderate deficiency, and 300 is a cutoff for severe deficiency. A below 550, the American Clinics of Cardiology pointed out your risk of a heart attack is 30% higher than if you're above 550. So the higher you are, the better you are in almost every study. The problem is that the labs are taking the average of the population they're treating, I mean, they're testing, not treating, they're testing, and taking that average and going two standard deviations on either side. So they have a range that frequently goes down into the low 200s. In the VA system, it goes down to 170. Now, this is the range. They don't claim it's the healthy range. They just say it's the range. The doctors that read it are not educated enough to know that this is just the average of a deathly sick population. Mm -hmm. They think that's the healthy range. Very good point, so, Doc. Yeah. So... You know, like uh, I know 15 years ago when I got tested, I was like in between moderate deficiency and severe deficiency. And my doctor said, oh, you're fine. You're in the range. I'm like, you don't understand. This is not the range of healthy well, stuff. Yeah, There's 40 it, years there, of literature. It's here. a disease normal versus healthy normal. Exactly. So, so in my case, after doing tens of thousands of hours of reading and, and uh, exploration of this topic, I realized there was only one way for males and females to treat this testosterone deficiency that leads to chronic disease. And that is with bioidentical testosterone, molecular testosterone that is identical to what you take that's in a compressed pellet that's sterilized, that's put into your fat. And by putting these pellets into your fat, your body now has all of a sudden, once again, steady state availability of testosterone 24 seven for months at a time. Technical Any question when they, I've seen this little surgical procedure done and in, in the incision insertion as well. How is it determined in terms of quantitatively what's released over the time of life of that pellet? I mean, that's a technical question, but. It, it is a technical question. So the way that people had assumed it worked was that the testosterone pellet act like an IV drip where it just dripped out a certain amount. And the more you put in, the more dripped out. In reality, having treated thousands and thousands of people over 15 years now, um, that's not how it works. Because I can put in pellets in somebody who goes to gym and does you know, heavy weight lifting, like a personal trainer who basically works out for a living. Mm. The pellets that last four months and a guy that goes to the gym three days a week will last him three months and a week because he will suck it out of those pellets, which probably the probable way it works is the pellets 
get put into the fat. They have to be in the fat. You can't put them in muscle. And it gets absorbed by the fat cells, and the fat cells in turn act like a gonad and release hormones because fat cells are very a metabolically store for biologically release, active. Okay, yeah. I, th that's making some sense now to me. Thank you. And I, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. had claimed that he utilizes this technique. As you see how jacked that guy is at almost yeah. 70 years of age? He, he is. He is. And anybody can be jacked at 70 years of age, but it's not the testosterone that does it. Because I have lawyers that are totally sedentary, wouldn't lift weights for anything, sit around the office, eat M&Ms, you know, have heart disease. And I can keep them alive, giving them testosterone pellets, but their pellets last five, five and a half months because their body doesn't utilize it. So my healthiest ones are the ones that burn it up faster. In women, it's the same thing. Women that are in high stress jobs or have uh, shift changes like stewardesses that do trans-Pacific flights, they'll burn up their pellets pretty quickly and it lasts usually three months in a normally active woman. But in them, they would last maybe two months and two weeks. And, and a woman who's really sedentary, it might last three and a half months. Mm -hmm. But you see, a, a woman makes her testosterone, 90% of it she makes inside each cell so that her kidney cells and my kidney cells have about the same amount of testosterone in them, which is why men and women can exchange kidneys, for example, going back to the original topic. Mm -hmm. But men make 90 plus percent of theirs on their testicles. So phthalates decrease the production both inside the cell and in your gonads, so to speak. So they both need replacement. It's just women need a little less if you, you know, you don't want to give them a, a huge dose and mm. because that would increase facial body hair a little bit, it wouldn't give them a beard because there's still an XX chromosome, but it would mm. give them increase in facial hair and they don't need to be, um, you know, treated right. that high. And then, and then also it makes, um, erectile tissues, uh, engorge. So, um, it, testosterone increases something called nitric oxide synthetase, which increases the amount of nitric oxide in your vessels. And nitric oxide is what allows your vessels to dilate. That's why low testosterone is associated with high blood pressure and good high mm. levels of testosterone associated with normal uh, blood pressure. But the other function of nitric oxide is your erectile tissues engorge when you're excited. So no man comes into me complaining his level's too high because his erections are too hard. Um, but sometimes if you take a woman too high, she'll complain that her clitoris is engorged too much so it's uncomfortable and it's, you know, she, sure. she, and, it's and, distracting. You know, so you yeah, just it, have to treat people according to yes, what makes them healthy. It's not right? one size fits all, Doc, even though you've seen almost a universal drop in terms of endocrine production and healthy endocrine production. Now, that begs the question, and you may not have the answer to this because, you know, I, I see where you focused and it's just phenomenal what you're doing. But as far as, you know, other nutritional strategies or other strategies that would facilitate the normal and optimal production endogenously, right? Even as we age, because it's the accepted thing. Well, as you age, you let less, less. Now, there are some people that are aging a lot more gracefully than others. And I would argue nutritional status, activity levels, all of these things might precipitate uh, a different path than everybody else's because most everybody is not living that lifestyle. So right. they're probably needing what you're talking about. So let's let's talk about that. So I was impressed when I was in the Andes in Peru hiking. Um, you could mm -hmm. see octogenarians and really phenomenal shape, men and women both. Um, but let's look at what the differences are. One, they, their intake is food and water that's pure and highly mineral content, mm -hmm. right? Um, they have exercise every day just by living in the environment they're living in.
their exposure to plastics, processed food, other endocrine disruptors, you know, Teflon pants is close to zero. Yes. All right. So now do they have microscopic plastic exposure? Yes, they do. Cause it's even in the air in Antarctica. And when they have done filtration of people's blood, over 80% of the people's blood they, fil they filtered has microscopic plastic in it, just from inhaling it, and it goes through your alveoli into your lungs. You know, how about the ocean? If you're eating the fish out of the ocean, they have tons of phthalates in them because of this waste bucket that mm -hmm. was our beautiful oceans that has plastic in it. So the ability for somebody in this country to avoid these endocrine disrupting chemicals is tiny, oh, but they can impossible. do it. Yeah, virtually they, they, it's impossible. virtually impossible. Yeah. They can live in a semi-rural area with well water you that's can, been yeah, tested. Yeah, you can reduce exposure. Filtered. I would agree, but right, you reduce your exposure. That's yeah. what you have to do. And so you have filtered water, and that can take out phthalates. You mm -hmm. have organic foods, and that can help reduce, reduce some of the endocrine yeah. disrupting chemicals. Mm -hmm. You can end up using, um, uh, you know, when you go to the you know, eat your, don't store your food in plastic. Don't heat right. your food in plastic. Yeah. Just forget about plastic, right? But you're still sitting in your car. So, you well, know, your car has vinyl is, seats. As I said, it's ubiquitous at this point, unfortunately. Uh, we engage in strategies to minimize the exposure and or counteract the exposure to the best of our ability. But it's not an ideal environment anymore. Like you said, outside of the extreme pristines, if you will, a completely different lifestyle, as you as you point out, as I've studied some of these uh, cultures around the world where people don't die of chronic degradation diseases, neurological cancers or other things. And they they live and work hard into some into their hundreds. It's evidence right. of that. And the and they blue zones, die of a right? disease. The blue zones. Yes. And, and the blue so zones. we would try to mimic that in an environment that's artificial relative to that. So, as I said, the things you're talking about are responses to the artifice that we live in, the artificiality that we live, even if we try to do better. And I try to, but I acknowledge what you're saying. And I do appreciate your integrity in bringing this message out. And this book looks fantastic. And I'm sure a lot of my listeners and viewers are going to be picking it up now, too. Nobody wants you healthy. Uh, it's, uh, you know, you get a sense of who Dr. Mark Richards is in this brief interview we've had. And I certainly had was impacted by his uh, presence on the health freedom panel that we did. Uh, and uh, just, just, yeah, dude, hats off to you, my friend. I, and I'd love to have you back on Thank anytime you. and uh, connect Thank with you, you at any conferences coming up. Thank you. Thank you very much. You, do we have time to talk about veterans for a minute or are we off for an hour? Yeah, we got a few more minutes and I got a question of the day I got to hit, I believe. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's we can't okay. miss well, skip on the veterans. Yeah, I think we I think we have to talk about veterans. November's coming up. They they're, you know, we're the land of the free because we're the home of the brave. Right. And the medical system, the VA medical system has really failed them. According to their own analysis, it's failed them. And one of the big things is people don't realize that military training, according to a Danish study, can reduce testosterone by 40%. And then they're exposed to explosives and other endocrine disrupting chemicals and burn pits or wherever. And they come back and maybe they get injured and they're treated with heavy duty narcotics that also reduce testosterone, sometimes permanently and, and at least by 80%. So you have the bravest, strongest, best people, men and women, that are out there defending us and they're coming back and their testosterone levels are insufficient to stop inflammation. They're insufficient to cure them. They cause anxiety disorders. They cause um, sleep disorders. They cause everything that low testosterone causes that you, know, you read about in this book. 
and we're not treating them because the average is so low, it's 170, that their doctors are telling if you're over 170, you're normal. They should be treating every single veteran male below 550. They should treat every single female veteran below 35 because those are the levels where we're looking at, at moderate deficiency starting and behavioral deficiency starting. We're not gonna stop PTSD and suicide and anxiety disorders and diabetes and heart disease and everything else that takes our veterans' lives early and destroys them until we re restore what their testosterone level should be, the, the most abundant bioactive hormone that they had ever. And, and, and it's essential to life. And until we do that, it's a losing battle trying to fix it. Yeah, and Dr. Richards, the assault on these soon-to-be veterans or eventual veterans when they go into the military to serve is uh, astonishing and it's it's embarrassing, you know, because the what we call the military industrial complex we were warned about by Eisenhower, I don't know that he referenced the fact that one day the pharmaceutical industrial complex would take over that and use our soldiers as guinea pigs before they even hit the battlefield. They become victims of experimental injections. Just they do. Sure. Dr. Dr. Thomas Paine, signer of the Declaration of Independence, warned us that Benjamin one Rush. day we're going to have medical tyranny and yeah. that that had to be put into the Constitution. Um, sadly, it wasn't yeah. put in there. Yeah, exactly. And we're dealing with it to this day. And, uh, you know, credit to you. And again, your level of integrity appreciate so much. And I'm glad, thankfully, that you also support our good friend, Jonathan Emord. We need to get him in the U.S. Senate. Uh, to restore integrity yes, of that body to the best of his ability that will support him all the way through too. And uh, anytime you want to come on board here, you're welcome. I've enjoyed this discussion very much and I appreciate what you put in the book and hopefully it's helpful to people. And if people want to reach out to you, are you still engaged in uh, the medical practice? Do you have a, a place, yes. a facility people yes, come I'm, to? I'm still, I'm still very engaged in my medical practice. It's uh, just organically. I've never advertised my testosterone pellet therapy. I do have taught about 180 clinics across the country, um, but it's about 40 plus percent uh, testosterone pellets and 60% plastic surgery. Um, and and I'm where are you located for, for those that want to know? Oh, I'm located in Bethesda, Maryland. Okay, right Right, there. right outside of Washington, D.C. Yeah, and as I asked Jonathan, how do you how do you live so close to the District of Criminals? It's like I feel dirty every time I go there. I have to scrub with the Brillo to get it off. Yeah, there's some good people there, though. There are some good people, but I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, I know it. But uh, Dr. Richards, great to connect with you at the Health Freedom Expo and right here on this show, and love to get you on anytime and see you at any event that we're that we're on the same stage or just in the same place. You're a, a, a credit to what I wish more doctors were like. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right. That's Dr. Mark Richards. Everybody pick up his book. I think you'll learn a lot. We already learned a lot today on some cool stuff we got to discuss. Nobody wants you healthy, achieving better health by avoiding the corruptions in modern medical science available in paperback uh, as well at uh, all, all the places. And you can go to nobody wants you healthy. I believe dot com, he said. So uh, check that out. We do have a, a question of the day. We also have a, a, a story to wrap up today's broadcast before we go into the bonus round. And it uh, addresses and assesses uh maybe some botanical and nutrient options as opposed to ibuprofen. We heard from Dr. Richards about inflammation and the testosterone relationship. Uh, but also when we talk about inflammation or pain or other things, when we talk about non-steroidal and steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. These things have varying degrees of toxicity and do, they do damage to organs, to systems, to the intestines, to the microbiome, uh, to the liver, to the kidneys, to the immune system itself. Uh, so looking at other options before you resort to something is what you might perceive as benign as ibuprofen. 
It's not benign. Uh, highly recommend that you look into some of these things, including this article here. Uh, I think it was on the Natural Blaze, originally put out by our good friend Sayer G from Green Med Info. And I'll just go through that really quickly here. Uh, let's see these six options. Uh, and you can, they're hyperlinked to studies. And one of them goes to Arnica, believe it or not. That humble and lovable remedy, Arnica. Now, it can be used as a topical for pain as a, as a tincture, but Arnica is slightly toxic. You don't necessarily ingest it unless it's in a homeopathic form, but topically it can be used not on broken skin. Very effective uh, for relieving symptoms associated with osteoarthritis, the wrist, and with, with no, well, fewer side effects. Let's just say it that way. Uh, what else? Ginger. Ah, Zinsberg. Ginger is also used in homeopathy, but a 2009 study found that ginger was effective as ibuprofen for pain symptoms associated with difficult menstrual cycles. Uh, number three on the list, turmeric. A 2014 study found that turmeric extract were as effective as ibuprofen for relieving symptoms of knee osteoarthritis. Uh, time. T-H-Y-M-E, 2004 study found that an extract of thyme was as effective as ibuprofen in reducing pain and spasm symptoms associated with difficult menstrual cycles, once again. And we've covered some of these homeopathically. Omega-3 essential fatty acids, 2006, found that supplementing with fish oil helped neurosurgery patients reduce their need for medications. So again, ibuprofen is one of those that are often used for pain management. And how about this one? Cinnamon. Cinnamon, a 2015 study found that cinnamon was as effective as ibuprofen for pain associated with difficult, again, menstrual cycles. So check out this article and the things, and it links to these articles that you can read more in depth to manage pain without having to resort to something as kidney killing as ibuprofen. And I realize it's not as kidney killing as uh, um, remdesivir, but still all of these things have a negative impact on systems that you need if you want to age gracefully and be alive to see your kids and grandkids and their kids maybe even grow up and be wonderful uh healthy adults that love liberty like you do so i thank you for being here super don what do we have time to do uh before we wrap up and do the bonus round well we do have a question of the day okay. question is can you answer it in like two minutes or less <laughs> i can try and i can always right. go extend it Okay, this is from Lori H. My female husky has a hot spot not too far from her tail. Would putting sovereign silver gel or regular sovereign silver on it help clear it up? Well, by and large, yes, these hot spots are inflammation. They are sometimes uh, excretory pathways of the skin, uh, you know, aggravated areas. Uh, this is the body trying to throw things out. Silver doesn't stop that from happening, but silver definitely reduces tissue inflammation on contact and upregulates regeneration. If there is evidence of uh, microbial imbalance and overgrowth of something they call a pathogen, whether it be bacterial or fungal, the silver hydrosol and or the silver gel would be very appropriate to help heal hotspots. I've heard success time and time and time again over the last 20 years uh, with this stuff. So the Sovereign Silver or Argent 23 First Aid Gel, you can get that from Jonathan at choosetobehealthy.com. Use the code RSB5 to get a discount when you check out choosetobehealthy.com. Or we have links as well directly to Natural Immunogenics. You can get it or your local health food store and it can be used locally to clear up. Now that there's the sovereign copper, if it's even more fungal or if it's parasitic related, copper is a sensational natural antiparasitic as well as uh, systemically it modulates inflammation, whereas silver uses uh, a site specifically, point of foci directed. So with that, Lori H., thank you for asking that question about your husky. Uh, get them well, and then we'll be back with the bonus round after this because the power to heal is still yours. 
Oh, what a day. What a what a day. Dude, this show was so great. Not went by fast, didn't it? It went fast. Uh, the guests were phenomenal today, um, you know, with Texans for Health Medical Freedom and um, and and Dr. Richards was was bringing it. Enjoyed that. Enjoyed that immensely. Uh, and I don't know what happened when I glitched out, but I was having no problem with the Internet. That seems to be a restream issue interface. I don't know why, uh, because everything else seemed to be You glitched fine. a couple, yeah, a few times. I don't know if you noticed on your end, but something yeah. got wacky. It's I technology. We, we knew why, but I don't think there's any like any Rhyme computer or software or online Not thing ever that is a hundred percent perfectly working normal all the time. It just mm. it's just a nature of the beast, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, any comments, questions from you, my friend, uh today? For me? Yeah, you know, you're allowed. Uh, comments or questions. Well, actually, you know, you you, uh, you issued a challenge to me yesterday. Oh, I, oh, that's on right. On the homeopathic hits, we were kind of pressed for time there at the end of hour one. So, yeah, I, just, I thought it would be good for um, there to be a visual element to the homeopathic hit of the day. And, yes, and you know, this could be creative. Like yesterday, it was a toasted SpongeBob or a mimicry of that because it was Spongia Tosta. Today was tarantula. Hispanica, a, a Spanish spider. Yes. And I don't know what kind of imagery we have for that. If you have an actual picture of the Spanish spider or something else. So I'm curious. Well. <laughs> that you, is, that is the you, homeopathic remedy. What do you think there? With a little bottle of That's tequila. That's tarantula Hispanica. Hispanica. How did that get created? Uh, well, that's an AI picture there. It's a, a tarantula wearing a sombrero. Yeah. Uh, with a mustache and a bottle of tequila. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's not you. If they have a problem with uh, cultural appropriation or anything like that, that was. Well, done. I mean, it's yeah. kind of me. But. Okay. <laughs> You're willing to risk it, though, for funny pictures. Um. So, is the intent I mean, to offend everyone? Is sometime. that a little bit better? That's more of a kind of an artsy version. <laughs> okay. It's still wearing the sombrero, but. and it's the venom of that that we use in homeopathy. Yes, and that was the remedy of the day. So maybe you can splash that onto the PDF and see what happens. I like this one better, though. Yeah, that's cute. That's funny. All right, I, I think that I have a sense that our audience is not offended easily. And it's not your intent to offend. I hope not. We get to, we get to have but funny. We get to make fun and have humor, you know? So our generation was sarcastic. That's just how it was. Mm -hmm. We were not snowflakes. So I got to say that um, over on Rumble, you know, it was totally quiet. It was like a ghost town yesterday in the chat room. Mm -hmm. You can always count on the vegan Avenger. Okay. Cetro Spotlight, otherwise known as Jim. Yes. What's up with Jim? He has dominated the entire chat room. And I'll bet you there's there's at least 20 messages on here. All right. Um but I'm going to I'm going to just kind of let's see where am I even going to start here? Uh Let's see here. First off, he is a big fan of uh Buju Oh yeah, the, Buju, the, the, uh, it's the Buju Jamaican, uh, Ban Banton, Banton, Banton. Yes, Buju yeah, Banton. That's right. Yes, he uh, he's a huge Red J fan. So we've learned something new about Jim today. Cool. 
Um, and he dropped a, if, if any of you want to go over and check out the chat room over on Rumble, he dropped a link in there to a, uh, a video. I, I'm genuinely, exci- genuinely excited about uh, having him on the show. We're working on it behind the scenes. There's a lot of layers. This guy is big time super done. I know that we're not the, you know, the most up to date on all the modern music, what's happening even in, in uh, reggae. But as I began yeah. to look into him, I'm like, holy camoli, dude, this guy is, yeah, top star, you know, cool. probably sell out stadiums. So it's kind of like that. Remember that British, uh, that British guy that we had on the show that was uh, doing music in, in the UK, Remise, I think his name yes, was. Remise and it was music. Yeah. It was right. similar, wasn't it? Kind of a, uh, I believe uh, so. And now yeah. I'm hearing from uh, Bobbery that, again, he's a big fan, a supporter of the, the Folium products. And that's how we're making this connection happen. Uh, I'm okay. excited about that. He wants to help people with it. Uh, cool. <clears throat> he's a freedom fighter guy. I don't know why I think he might not be allowed into the United States. I got to figure out what that is all about because they're letting really people in anywhere. And it's like, why wouldn't he be allowed in to have music, you know? So I'm curious about this guy. He seems to be very passionate about freedom and we are too. And he likes folium. So that's good. We also have tomorrow, I think in the second hour, Rich Gomez is the name, a former caretaker of Mrs. Sandy Sullivan, a cancer patient who lived many, many years beyond uh, her time expiration, according to medicine, uh, with folium, if I'm, my memory's correct there. So that's coming up tomorrow as well. Um, let's see, what else is going on? We got uh, coming up, Arizona, of course. This, this. Yes. Fit hats. What's a oh. fit hat? What's that? What's a flex fit hat? I have no idea. Doug is asking me, what size hat do you wear? A flex fit hat. I have no idea what a flex fit hat is. Should I? Can you do a search on that? Uh, I've got a P hat. I don't think it's, it's that big. But Let's see. Custom flex fit hats. Yeah. Um, do I need to go to a pediatrician to get my circumference of my head measured? No. <laughs> I think uh, I think it's just the way that it... it um, it fits on your head and it's adjustable. What is a flex? It modifies itself to the proportions of your head uh-huh. by use of a spandex headband present in the interior of the cap. Will I so, automatically start doing um, aerobics if I wear it? Spandex, Joe. Come on, dude. Really? Oh, whatever. <laughs> Boo. All right, where's where's the sound? So of, where's the sound effect for that one? Huh? Well, I didn't even get you didn't get the 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 rim shot yesterday when I made that other joke. <laughs> this is what I get for trying. Good lord. Anyway, uh, okay. So I don't know what size my head is, so I have to get it measured. I guess apparently. Doug well, if it's got spandex in it, it adjusts itself to. The, it should be like one size fits all. Yeah, the, I guess the question is, do they sell them small, medium, large? I don't what know. What size hat so. do you normally wear when you wear like a baseball cap? Is it large? Is it... I don't know. I think they always have adjustable things. On don't the you have one nearby there? No. No? No hats in the in the studio? The vicinity? I, I wore one. Show the hat I wore this morning. <laughs> now, that's a flex fit hat if I've ever seen one. That, that one, one That one would fit uh, even, uh, I don't know whose head, but. <laughs> see i don't know what size that was fits on my daughter's head so it's small uh, but it, it does it did flex it's like a mushroom hat as i said if you didn't see that that was kind of reminds me of like one of the guys from the uh, super mario brothers uh game didn't yeah they, wasn't there like didn't they wear like a hat like that or something or marvin martian from looney tunes yeah you know <laughs> 
You anyway, have was... made me very angry. That's right. Yes. <laughs> oh God. More. You know, every once in a while, um, mm-hmm. I want to say it's, is it, ah, there's a channel. There's like a, a streaming app that you can get that has the Warner brothers on it. And all I the Looney have, Tunes? Yeah. You can go back and it's got all the classic uh, Looney Tunes, which is just, haven't done that in a long time, but mm-hmm. you know, the stuff that we grew up with the, the back when cartoons were good. Yeah, right. Um, Back when they were offensive. Great stuff. Great stuff. All right. Oh, True Kirby jumped into the uh, um, chat room there. Let's see. Maybe one day we'll be able to view chat on the Rumble TV app. Oh. You know, I I have actually used the Rumble TV app. I've got it actually on my... uh, But they don't have chat available on that. Yeah, yeah, that would be kind of interesting. Yeah. You probably need just... uh, let them know. Now, if we end up uh, doing stuff with AMP News, right? We had Chris yeah. on yesterday. Um, they're on, what did she say, uh, Roku, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're on Roku right right now once a week with our Brighteon.tv simulcast in the second hour. Right. Uh, and, you know, of course, we've talked about the uh, Q view. Q view. We need to get an update on that, don't we? Yeah, I know, because that was another aspect of... Uh, yeah utilizing that to get easier access for those that do TVs and want to watch the show that way. Um, but yeah, there's always something else. Yeah. We'll have to look into that. And so actually, you know, you know the they, rumble TV app works pretty good. I was kind of impressed. Does? With it. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's cool. You sign into it and it's just like, if you're signed in on online and so does that mean our show live on rumble can be watched through the rumble TV app? Totally. Yeah. Okay, so we are yep, on TV. And you can go right to our channel and watch our other videos and stuff, too, well, on your that's TV. that's cool. Yeah. All right, and and tell me about the ability to take that video I sent you from Healing Strong, that hour-long uh, uh, lecture for our yeah. Patreon supporters. How does that work? Uh, I can just upload it to Patreon. Okay. And by the way, I you know, I mentioned this to you. I think it was, was last night or this morning. Mm-hmm. But there's a, uh, a new feature over on Patreon that uh, I'm going to start taking advantage of. For those of you that uh, would like to be a part of the Patreon community, but you're not ready to quite take the leap yet, mm-hmm. uh, Patreon has created a free membership. Now, what that means is that you're not going to get all of the stuff that you get for being a paid member. But we, we will occasionally put out free content that, that the free members will be able to have access to. And it'll give you a chance to kind of just, you know, kick the tires on, on Patreon and kind of check it out and see what it's all about. And it won't cost you anything if you want to try it out. Mm-hmm. So, again, this doesn't get you, 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 you know, it won't get you in on the AMAs that we do every month or access to the other content that we've got in there. But there will be free content uh, for free members. Um, and I'm going to, yeah, like, I need more stuff to do, but huh. I think it's, I think it's a cool opportunity for people to be able to get together and, you know, kind of grow that community on Patreon, you know, and then if you like what you see and you want to, you know, um, you want to take it to the next level, then you can, but you can go right. check it out. So patreon.com slash RSBell media, I think it is, uh, okay. easiest thing to do is go click on the banner on yeah, our non-operational website. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, that's as far as what I'm going to do with it. I'll I'll get it uploaded up there. Okay, sounds yeah. good. I don't think there's, I don't know what the limit is on Patreon as far as like size or 
length. But you know those those uh, AMAs we do are two hours long. So sure, yeah, yeah, it it should be fun. Takes should be fun. And that one's up from uh, last Saturday, right? Already. I think so. Yes. Okay. Wait a minute. Maybe. No. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So if you missed the uh, AMA, you can uh, join in and watch it after the fact too. Yes. Cool. Yep, yep, yep. Along with the transcript to the chat room, which is people are enjoying that, having access to that, so they can go back and see what everybody was talking about. Or I guess the chat room includes the, the trivia questions and who won. I sent sure. them out yesterday, by the way. Thank you, Super Don. Thank you to all the, the, the folks that won stuff. Just to let you know what I, I was able to give away, uh, thanks to our, our supportive sponsors like Natural Immunogenics, I gave away uh, two... Argentin 23 nasal sprays and a sovereign silver and an Argentin 23 gel each. So four little pieces went to four different people and then a giant size. Uh, what was it? The immune kit from nutritional frontiers. Yes. That I, uh, they graciously donated to, to us to be able to give away. And that was so awesome. So uh, folks, you know, anybody that wins something, they typically win more than they give us in terms of support, but, I don't mind. I'm happy to do that, that we can. And, uh, uh, you know, you end up making more. It's kind of a weird way to say it, but you invest in us. You might end up getting more than you thought. What is that? Oh, that's the Zoom video. Yeah, it's interesting because the video, it only shows like, for whatever reason, it only shows like nine people. Okay. Out of like the 20, I think, that were on the call. So, okay. but that's that's what, and I think if somebody speaks, then maybe it'll show them. Okay. But this is what the video does. But look yeah, at you just this, chilling out, sitting down in the. Well, it is you're not sitting down? It. I was standing up the whole time. No, in fact, oh. you're right. I think I used the little stool I sat for the for the thing. <laughs> you're right, because I'm a little lower. I see where I am. Jeez. I rested my tushy on something. So Wow. Anyway. You were just like all the and rest of us. And my wife says I have a tushy people. now. That's big news. I don't know if it's a big tushy, but I have one. So I'm proud of it now. It's big news to somebody, I guess. <laughs> Didn't used to have one, apparently. So that's what happens. And you work out and you, you take some Nutritional Frontiers uh, super creatine. That's what can happen. So are you going to dress up as anything silly for the sake of the grandkids no. today? No. No, I haven't dressed up for Halloween in a really long time. Okay. I'm just there <laughs> enjoying everybody else. We don't judge you if you join in or don't join in. It's fine. Whatever you whatever you feel comfortable doing. And uh, I know a lot of our folks in this audience have nothing to do with Halloween, and that's fine too. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of do. poisoning kids. You know, it's just not a good. big fan of that. Yeah, I understand that. It's fun. Kids have fun. Mm-hmm. You, you went trick or treating when you were a kid, right? Oh yeah, of course. Of course yeah. We did. Yeah. yeah. Back in the day when we ate the garbage. That was a lot of fun. I mean, just the experience of it. And, you know, at some people, they really go all out on Halloween. And mm-hmm. uh, the kids really have a good time when, you know, uh, they go up to the house and it's not just somebody just opens the door. But, you know, they've got decorations and, you know, create like a haunted house, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah. It can be very fun. The only thing that sucks is that, you know, living up here where I live here, it's freaking cold. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the kids are like, yay, let's go. And you're like freezing to death and icicles hanging from your mustache. And But it is a good time. 
Hmm. All right. So let's see. True Kirby says, I would do Patreon, but I deleted my account when people I subbed to got banned. What? People I what? Subscribed to got banned. Oh, that's right. Patreon did uh, ban some folks. Oh, um, gotcha. They, they kind of are woke too. I mean, that that's the thing. You know, the so risk far is we've, there. we've, we've, we've done okay. Skirted we've been under, under the radar, the radar because, there apparently. Yeah. We don't, we don't blatantly like go on there and do like we do here on the show. If we were out there putting like, you know, doing videos on there, you know, uh, perhaps maybe it would, it would create more of a problem, but most of the stuff we do are just, you know, the AMAs and, and a few videos, but we've been able to not have an issue so far. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully it stays that way. Yeah. Yeah. For real. Enough of the banning. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. What else? Anything else we got going on today? Any other questions, comments in the chat room? Yeah, are you on our uh, website chat room? I am. Let's see. Chris Steiner, RSB. Great. Another great show. Not just a must listen, but a must re listen. Thank you, Chris. That's nice. All right. Yeah. Jackie Schlegel. That was cool. I didn't get to make any fun of her last name. Like, you know, legal Schlegel, Schmeagel. But no, Jackie Schlegel talking about legal stuff. You didn't get a chance to make fun of her name. Bummer. Yeah, apparently she was on, Chris says, the August 31st edition of The High Wire with Del Bigtree. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I could have sworn that we had had her on before. And also Mark Richards, too. Well, and I think that the reason that, again, he said it right up front, why I was feeling it is because I was on stage with him in the, the Health Freedom Expo. And it's right. hard for me to differentiate when I interview folks, you know, dogs are going crazy there, but when I interview folks on the air, if I'm talking to them off the air or they're on a panel discussion that I have, I'm like, if it was that the show or not, I, I, again, I don't partition myself that way uh, to make a distinction. And that's why, you know, I thought Mark was probably on the show as well, but he cleared right. that up right away. And it was, but the, I thought, I thought you know, he'd been on the show. Yeah. But you know, I Mark think Rich, that Mark Richards, I think we've had other people on that have very similar him. names. Well, and also, I think uh, Jonathan Emord may have mentioned him as well. True. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I think that's about it. Okie dokie. So let's take a quick look at what we got going on tomorrow. Tomorrow is Thursday, so we should have Jonathan E. Moore in hour one as usual. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute. Tomorrow's not there. Tomorrow's Wednesday. Sorry. So in hour one, yeah. Tracy Slepsevic will be Oh, with Tracy's us. back. The Warrior Mom. We're going to get ready for the big uh, AHS conference um, that's happening February 2nd and 3rd. I think I mentioned the Halloween deal, 25 bucks off uh, earlier today. Got that. I think she put that up on Instagram. And, San Antonio, and, Texas. In hour two, we won't have Ty Bollinger, but we may have uh, somebody on that we're we're waiting to hear about, I guess, right? Yeah, I think, as I mentioned, this Rich Gomez, who is the former caretaker of Miss Sandy Sullivan, cancer patient. So, you know, more stories of how folium has helped people do the extraordinary. And uh, always good good to do that. I have uh, done an update to the, if you can get to it, uh, mm -hmm. the upcoming events page. Oh, there's an update? Okay. There yeah, is an update. Quick. And uh, one of them was the... Um, yes, the Great Exodus Conference. I heard from Julia Miller, 
uh, that she's the conference host in city and they're going to reschedule it because apparently, and this is the story, the backstory, one of the, let's say, funders of it has a bank account in Canada that got locked down. Mm. So a lot of the funds to put this on are not being released. I'm like, okay, this is something we're hearing more and more about. And the irony, of course, is this great Exodus conference is talking about ways to maneuver around the banking system that would shut you out because they don't like your politics, your religion, or on and on it goes. So stay in touch with us on that, and uh, that'll be rescheduled. And the good thing is it gives me even more time to do a, 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 a gold-focused um, economic presentation. I've only done bits and pieces of it. And then, of course, uh, I'll be doing the gold, silver, and copper as medicine, right, as, in addition to its its role as money. So we'll All right. You. The other thing is I did end up getting a banner put up for the Next Steps Conference, which is coming up in March. Oh, cool. Yeah, I see it there. So March 14th through 17th, we'll be back in the Atlanta area. Uh, and that would be following the pre, I think the previous week, I might be in Atlanta a lot if that works out the March 8th through 10th thing. Uh, but this is uh, the Next Steps Conference, next-steps.info. Thanks to our good friend, Tia Severino. And it's a lot of fun. And it was Lake Lanier Islands Resort in Beaufort, Georgia, uh, north of Atlanta. We had a great time at the last one. I hope to see you there. Uh, back in Atlanta next year in March. So yeah, we're building the 2024 Robert Scott Bell Show tour. <laughs> Where's the concert tour t-shirts? Where's Steve Feld? Right. Where are the roadies? That's what you yeah. want to know, right? Right. <clears throat> as we talk more music. And the kids are going to see Sticks Without Me this weekend. Yeah, it's not really Sticks. It's still Tommy Shaw and James Young. That's pretty good. Yeah, I guess. You are like over overly enamored with Dennis DeYoung, I think. Dude, oh, no, no, look. I mean, let's be fair here, okay? Mm -hmm. You and I had this conversation once when I went and saw a Sticks cover band here yeah. locally that was here. And yeah. you're the one that gave me the lecture about Dennis DeYoung. I so well, I don't want to hear it. That, well, it that started with you. What well, it's say? not Dennis DeYoung. No, blah, blah, blah. I was like playing the video and you're like, well, play the video. I deny it. It was Tommy yeah. Shaw. Not yeah, Dennis DeYoung. whatever. It was Dennis DeYoung. And that's what, that's what actually inspired me. I went on YouTube and mm -hmm. I, I caught some videos of his band that yeah. he's doing. Um, and it's just like, that sticks. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, you know, I mean, if, if you're going with the music side of things, mm -hmm. Uh, you could you could make that argument if you're going with the voice mm -hmm. that he sticks. I mean, you know, this that's him, right? So I he could it. I get it. He could sing, you know, with anybody, and you'd be like, sticks. Yeah, no, it's Dennis like, Young, very talented showman, etc. Didn't work out for him and yeah. sticks. Just yeah. at the end of the day, indeed. Yeah. All right, so that's what we got for you today. Did you have to ban somebody on our uh, Facebook page? <laughs> you want to talk about that huh? yes well, I did I, I, I did. think there's a difference between disagreement and being a douchebag yeah isn't that, the, isn't that the argument some of you may have like noticed there there was this guy that, that was coming in the chat was constantly just like angry with Robert about things he was saying him you know he, he should know better about talking about things about viruses or vaccines or whatever and you know, he's selling out and, you know, all this crap. And it's like, I put up with it for a while. <laughs> but I noticed this morning, he just caught me on, a, I guess, on a day where I, I got notification. Oh, he's saying more stuff on the, the Facebook page. And, you know, I sent out a, uh, 
I sent out an, uh, an email today because, you know, uh, Propaganda Exposed is premiering tomorrow. That's right. Bollinger's documentary. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I sent out an email, you know, to, getting people to sign up to watch the, the documentary. And he was like, I'm effing pissed with you, Robert Scott Bell. You should know better. You know, you're just trying to make money. And I was just like, forget it. I'm just, I'm done. You know, it's like, I, I, I don't mind people disagreeing as long right. as they're, they're not being a dick about it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, well, once you reach that point and if you do it enough, I'm sorry. This is not a. Uh, this is not a. Uh, you know. Um, you are not protected by the First Amendment. <laughs> um, we draw the line at what being a d bag, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just like it's just too much. You know, if you yeah. if you if you disagree mm-hmm. with us or Robert that okay. much, mm-hmm. dude, smoke a joint, you know. Have a beer, unless you're an angry drunk, uh, and go listen to a show that you agree with. You know, why put yourself through that kind of stress and anger and all that? You know, there are a lot of people that are like that. Yeah. You know, where it's like they just feed on. They need to have that that angst and that and and that angry and that opposition so they can just be angry and 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 argue and fight and you know and be angry with people because they have differences of opinion and and just they just you know they go over the top and that's what this guy was doing so i I, mean, maybe I, I don't I, do it a lot i really don't but no, you, you don't. know sometimes it's, it's just it's like not. it's like you're just you're just a disruption and an annoyance and and i don't want to do it anymore well do i go out of my way trying to find ways to get along with folks with whom we disagree as opposed to be at war with them? No. And, you know, he, he made comments and stuff from time to time. We even talked about it and brought it up and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But, you know, this is, there's no need to, to subject yourself to that kind of energy if you don't have to. And so I just prefer not to when I can. Oh, And, you know, I had kind of a, an interesting thought. What's that? You know, because I've been following what's going on with the whole Israel thing. Mm-hmm. And with all these these protests that are going on in the campuses, these pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas, you know, ceasefire now, you know, and all that stuff. And, you know, we've talked about war and how much it sucks and nobody wants war. You know, obviously yeah. you don't want people, people to die and casualties and collateral damage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I got to thinking about it. I was like, you know, there's a history of young college students embracing counterculture that's just a thing that they do it just seems like it's it's just a thing and i I, it makes me i i kind of get the the feeling that this being pro-palestinian thing Mm -hmm. i think that might be like the new counterculture thing that the you know that the college students are glamming onto now um I don't know how accurate that is, but, and you know, I don't mean to insult the intelligence of young college students, but you know, when you get caught up in, in what's going on in these campuses where they kind of live in their own little universe, their own you know, world where everything is offensive and there's, you know, microaggressions and, and pronouns and all that crap. Um, it really seems, you know, the, the spread of all these, these universities, I mean, big ones, Ivy league, you know, um, that I kind of get the feeling. I don't know. Tell me what you think about this. Yeah. That that perhaps being pro-Palestinian, anti-Israel is like the new counterculture thing within within the campuses. 
Yeah. That I, I think because so many of these interviews they do, it's like it seems like most of these students really don't even know what they're talking about. They're just they're yeah. just out there chanting the things and saying the stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and everything, and they're all against it and stuff. But when you actually pin them down to try and get them to be reasonable and, mm-hmm. and explain themselves and their point of view as to why it is, they really can't they can't do it. They're just like being a part of of the thing because it's in. Yeah. You know, I mean, what do you think? Well, look at the indoctrination of these kids. They're raised in an environment in public and sometimes private schools to hate the country they grew up in. You know, right then and there, you're like, all right, who who also is against America or the concept of America? And I'm not above and beyond criticizing our own country and acknowledging where we fail to live up to our high ideals. But that's different than hating the country you live in. And want to see it destroyed or, you know. And, and but, you I know, think, I, listen, I think, look, they can hate, you know, whatever. I hate to hate the country I live in until they want something from the country they live of in. Of course. You know, I mean, I, I think a lot of that is just, it's it's just, I don't, I don't think it's, it's, uh, I don't think it's genuine. Because I think once they get out of, of school and out of campus and real life hits them in the face, Mm-hmm. And suddenly they realize that life is not like it was on campus for the last four years. Yeah. Then they grow up a little bit. But in the meantime, they've got to be edgy and, and with it and stuff like that. And like I said, you know, the, the being against, you know, go, get up, get up, but going to fight the man, you know, uh, type thing. That's always been a thing that seems to, to come out of the universities. Uh, you know, and that's where, you know, I mean, like meathead on, on all in the family. Right. <laughs> you know, um, and so I kind of get the feeling, perhaps maybe I'm wrong. Well, you think I'm wrong that that this pro-Palestinian thing with these protests and everybody getting all up and everything and, and riled up that it's not suddenly everybody in the university turned into Nazis. Mm-hmm. It's just being pro-Palestinian and protesting against it, and then we ceasefire now and the and all that stuff like that. I think it's it really it has become for for the time being the new counterculture. Uh, for these guys to to want to be a part of because it, it's possible. I I don't have a definitive no opinion. Okay, I, you know I don't. I'm going to bring that up. I'm going to bring that up with Emord and see what he thinks. Okay. I yeah, think no, I think I might be onto something. Interesting thought. You know, and also I would love if we could have nuanced discussion to differentiate between the people of Israel and its government. Right? Like what Netanyahu? This guy. I'm not a fan of Netanyahu at all. And before this happened and the concerns I have for, you know, the purposeful, let this happen. So we have this to be able to do. There were a lot of people that in Israel had a, a, you know, an opposing view to others. You know, it wasn't monolithic in terms of view, but when you have an attack on your country and your people and thousands are injured or killed, you know, the inevitable result is you're going to rally around the flag. And that's for time immemorial that's happened. And, and, and I think that, you know, when you start hating on, oh, well, it's just Israel, it's all Israel, man, that's just, there's a lot more layers to this thing, a lot more manipulation, you know, the people that even hate Israel and Jews now, how they're being manipulated. And that doesn't mean we're, we're not applauding for one second, any collateral death or damage. No, of course not. Of course not. I do have to say though, man, I just, the anti-Semitism that seems to be just kind of just like. No big yeah. deal now. Yeah, uh, it's, like it's crazy it. because before this happened, mm-hmm. I mean, if you even like made a joke that had anything to do about Israel or Jews or something like that or like that, you know, it's like suddenly everybody got all, 
you know, upset and you got canceled and fired, you know, and then lost your, your, your job with, it was like from a comedian or something like that. Now it's just like nobody care. you know, there's, there's no repercussions for it, which is really strange. Um, I've never seen anything like like that before. Who, who you can criticize changes, doesn't it? You know, you can bash certain groups, but not others. If you bash others, then you're, you're going to be called names and, and, and yeah, the consequences of doing so are going to be very, uh, you know, overt. And, you know, right now it's okay to bash Jews. Uh, you know, we've seen evidence of the ability to bash Christians, but not Muslims. It's like, I don't like bashing anybody, but being able to make fun and make jokes, you know, there's a bit of a comedian in me and in you, we like to laugh. And when we grew up as Gen Xers, it was okay to make fun of each other. Now, someone said, well, that was really revealing inherent racism. Was it really? <laughs> really? In every case? Uh, you know, do you even know the definition of the word? No. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there are certain things that come from places of anger and racism and, and you know, wanting to denigrate. But then there are others that are coming from a place of affection and genuine humor and ability to, to laugh at yourself and each other is a sign of maturity, not immaturity or racism. And yep. I think that's been lost in a lot of cases. And right now it's okay to apparently bash Jews. Um, and, you know, whether you think the policy of Netanyahu is good or bad, and again, I'm not a fan of that guy. Um, well, the fact is you don't take that out on everybody that has any even loose association with it. And that's where I Yeah, feel, yeah, and you don't make them afraid, you know, yeah. to, to exist or to, to be in a, a, a you know, a, a certain place because they are, have to fear for you know, being attacked very or safety. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's just not cool. And, you know, and actually one, one other g- good point that I, I heard, and I think it may have been Netanyahu that, that, mm-hmm. that made this statement. And it, I kind of, I was kind of like, yeah, you know, he's got a point when uh, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, mm-hmm. you didn't see anybody uh, calling for a ceasefire when the attack started. Now, when they yeah. dropped the bomb, that was a whole different kind of a situation. That was kind of like, whoa, holy cow. You know, that's yeah. that's like, and I know you have your own opinions about that, but we'll talk sure. about that another day. Yeah. Um, or 9-11, right? Mm-hmm. When 9-11 happened and, uh, the, you know, the war started, did you see people uh, uh, marching and protesting for a ceasefire? No, there were, well, look, there were very few voices that were going, hold on a second. Who are we attacking? You know what I'm saying, though. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. I understand, yeah. you know, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. I get that. Sure. Yeah. But the initial reaction to that was not, let's ceasefire. Yeah. You know, no, it wasn't, you know, because we were attacked. Yeah. Well, and again, I, just keep your comments to yourself. I know there's all kinds of different ideas uh, and theory, but I'm just saying, just just look at it, you know. Um, in a general sense, I get In a general it. sense, right? Yeah. So in this case, you know, when you had what happened on October 7th, um, are they justified in reacting? I think they are. In responding, mm-hmm. I think they are. Yeah, you know. And so well, I, the question is, who makes the rules on how how to react? Right? How far the, they go? And, yeah. and, and there's nothing wrong with arguing. In fact, we should. You know, push back. Hey, is this right? Is this right? Is that? Yeah, yeah you know, it turns into a hatred of of a people. Uh, tell me if it if it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. That, you know, let's say this happened to some other country, you know, um, versus this happening to Israel. When you've got a history that Israel has from the Holocaust, right, Mm -hmm. Um, where, you know, it it seems like 
this is a never again um, situation for them. Right. Yeah, I mean, for some, it's like, why didn't Hitler finish the job? I mean, there are people out there that right. are in that mode. You take a look at what happened with the Holocaust, Holocaust yeah. and they're just going, no, you know, this is, we're, we're, we're not messing around here. This is never going to happen ever again. And we're going to make yeah. sure that we do whatever, whatever we have to do Context to prevent that, that from way. happening yeah. again. I understand. I understand the, the mindset a little bit. Mm-hmm. Sure. And yeah. there are people that have that mindset and, and yeah. It's not necessarily going, I agree 100% with what, but you got to go, all right, what's the history? Why do they believe what they believe? And when you talk Old Testament or Hebrew scriptures, I mean, it's wrath of God type stuff. And, you know, when you get into the Judeo transition Christianity and that combination, that transition of the message of Christ, it, it, it changed things, you know, arguably changed things. And so... Uh, where do you go in terms of your response and your belief in God and what God commands you to do? There are those controversies as well playing themselves out here. Uh, I can't, I wouldn't deny that. Uh, it's very uncomfortable on every level about it, but still, please don't hate people just because, right? Uh, as a group, take, take each case individually. And again, even if we have disagreements about what's happening and why and all of that, uh, it's just not pleasant. Uh, I could say that. <laughs> it's an understatement. All right. So on that really fun, happy, positive happy note. Happy, positive Halloween note. <laughs> That's a horror right there. The real horror on Halloween is that war is happening, but seems to be somewhere always on this planet. Hug your kids. Yeah. Give some love to those you love. Have some fun. Prayers and love for even those Forget you Forget about it for a little while. Yeah. And um, have a good time. Hand out uh, organic apples to kids if you want to or hair balls from your cat selenium tablets <laughs> say thanks to those who support this message of health freedom healing liberty and god willing we'll be back less than uh 22 hours from now to start all over with another terrific broadcast i have that feeling it'd be really great post Halloween, right. heading into november gratitude november month. 1st already yeah holy moly all right Let's guys have, have a good evening good afternoon and we'll uh we'll see you again tomorrow